Hello and welcome to episode 284 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Belton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. It's the Bobby Ingram edition? It sure is. We, we anticipated it was coming, and now it's oh, here. Yeah. Yeah. Next week, the Alex Bannister edition. <laughs> I don't know why. Honestly, cannot wait. I've lived through this week of Seattle sports, and the Alex Bannister edition cannot be worse than the Bobby Ingram edition. Oh, boy. This this weekend went so poorly in Seattle sports. Oh. You'd think I said it was the biggest weekend in Seattle we sports go. history. There we go. <laughs> At some point, you have to predict that it might be the worst weekend in Seattle sports history. <laughs> well... I, I have I have a theory. Let's let's. I I don't know. This probably isn't going to be. This weekend is not going. Well, to be Well, I mean, okay. Actually, you know what? It has the potential to be. There we go. You know, I, let's, let's. You know, football loses to Arizona. We'll get to it. Then it might be the worst weekend in Seattle sports history. That's it. You know, football is gonna lose to Arizona. Are you kidding me? I, actually, it can't be the worst. We're opening the arena. If something goes wrong with climate pledge between them having the concert tonight. And then the, the Kraken playing their first game on Saturday, then it's the worst weekend in Seattle. I don't want to tell you what happened to the lead singer of Dave Grohl's band. I, I, I don't know any of this information. Oh, do you not know what band he was in before Foo Fighters? Oh, well, yes, I know that. I thought you meant something happened to someone in the Foo Fighters. Let's do this toast. Well, he did break both of his legs. Uh, sunny day real estate broke up. I mean, look, look, a lot of negative things have happened here. Anyway, let's do our toast, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you my theory here. Well, let's start with this week's beer, which is the Deschutes Chasing Freshies Fresh Hop IPA, because it's still hashtag Fresh Hop season. Together with our friends at Bitburger, this is Deschutes' friends, not our friends, but we're friends with them too. Uh, <laughs> we created a Fresh Hop IPA recipe with both German Callista hops and American wet hops. Triumph and Callista are this year's featured American public varieties harvested from farms in Idaho. Bitburger was instrumental in the development of Callista and honored us with the opportunity to use their proprietary Siegelhopfen in the recipe. Oh, God. I, Siegelhopfen. Okay, so I, saw, I saw that word coming in when I was reading that bit because I typed this in a week ago before I got the, the, uh, the Fremont... Uh, uh, Koichi Canyon. Yes, why am I Who, who I said, I think maybe is the best beer I've ever had in my life. You did say life. that. And so it had been a while since I'd seen that word, and I saw it coming in the in notes, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this one correctly. You got excited about the Siegel Hopfen. <laughs> can I, can classic I just say... Classic Cast authentic pronunciation. The... <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned here, though, because Deschutes Bend, Oregon, right? We're, we're getting pretty far south. Hops from Idaho. Questionable. These are not coming from the fresh hop region of the state of Washington. That's correct. And I don't know if this can be called an authentic fresh hop IPA. I think it can be a hop IPA, but to be a fresh hop IPA, it actually needs to come from the fresh hop region of eastern Washington. I don't don't know if there's just a specific fresh hop region. I think that's just the hop region, but there are other hop regions. But there's a fresh hop region, and that's where fresh hops come from, right? To be an authentic fresh hop ale, it has to be from the fresh hop region of Washington. Are we in disagreement about this? <laughs> we are. I think this is Veldkast geography here. I think it's mostly just that we've learned the... this year that fresh hops come from the fresh hop region of Washington. But the fresh hop region is the northwest. And this is Yakima no offense. Look, the... we're previewing the NBA season. Our brethren in Portland have suited us very well in this time period where we have to cheer for hockey and not basketball. But 
they cannot have fresh hops in the state of Oregon. Their hops cannot be the freshest. I would agree with that. So, I mean, we're talking Germany, uh, Siegelhopfen, and Oregon. That is not where fresh hops come from. Look, the words fresh hop may be on this beer. There may be a fresh hop season in Germany. That seems plausible. All right, we'll give, we'll give, it, we'll give it to Bitburger. Within, it's it's got to be in the Pacific But a Fresh Hop IPA has to come from the Fresh Hop region of Washington. We're branding this, right? This is a real thing. Again, I know you're making this sound like there's a difference. Like this, this region is growing hops, and this region is growing fresh hops. They're all the same hops. It's just some of them are being used immediately at harvest. Some are fresher. Let me just explain. You understand about the Champagne region of France, right? I champagne do. has to be from. You can have sparkling wine. Sparkling wine's great, right? Call it Prosecco, call it whatever you want. But if it's not from the Champagne region of France, it's not Champagne. And if it's not from the fresh hop region of Washington State, it's not a fresh hop. Okay, Sorry, Deschutes. <laughs> fine. It's not a fresh hop beer this week. Anyway. Uh, tough, tough beat for us. Anyway, well, to our we, we have a hop IPA. <laughs> first off, to the Seattle Kraken for earning the first win in franchise history last Thursday in Nashville. We'll have more about that in our Kraken session section. Uh, obviously, congrats to Kent native Courtney oh, Vandersloot. Important, important to single out. Who helped the Chicago Sky to the franchise's first WNBA championship over the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, also on the, the, I feel nothing. <laughs> of course, you're done. In good sake, product. <laughs> Also on the WNBA front, get well soon to Brianna Stewart, who underwent surgery Thursday to repair and reinforce her left Achilles. Stewart missed the final two games of the regular season in the Storms' playoff loss to those Mercury with what the team termed a left foot injury. This is the opposite Achilles from the one Stewart ruptured in 2019 sideline her that season. The team said she's expected to be ready for training camp, although we haven't heard yet about whether Stewart plans to play for UMMC Ekaterinburg during the WNBA offseason, as she typically does. Where is that at? Russia. Mm. Uh, and the fresh hop region of Russia. <laughs> Wasn't clear where their hop growing region is. Uh, to UW men's soccer, extending the best start in Pac-12 history to 12-0 with a 3-0 win at Gonzaga last oh, Saturday. It's oh, nice to there know. we go. Take that, Courtney Vandersloot. Yeah. It's nice to know that one UW team can beat Gonzaga. <laughs> uh, the Huskies host Oregon State this Friday, looking to stay unbeaten. And then lastly... Uh, a fun one this week. Congrats to third Pelton brother, Joseph Evans, who we had on the pod last year, who was appointed a superior court judge in Pierce County by Governor Jay Inslee and will take the bench next month. Wow. <laughs> Quite enough that. He's going to be freaking mayor of Tacoma. Like, uh, it's only a matter of time. I believe he is the will be the only judge we've had is a third Pelton brother. That's really Even though important. we've had a lot of third Pelton brothers yeah. judge stuff. He will be the only actual judge. Yeah, take that, Zach Whitman. <laughs> You've judged many things. Randy's judged a ton of stuff, but not actually a judge. When we call Joseph the decider, it will have an entirely different connotation <laughs> altogether. You know about this in Mrs. Fantasy Genius? We're we're sitting next to people. You get you get a you buy basketball tickets. Jan calls up the Sonics ticket office in the year nineteen ninety five. Correct. Right? They're about to open up oh, you're, yeah, you open you open up Key Arena. Jan gets two tickets, seats eleven and twelve, and row two twenty two, row twelve, seats eleven and twelve. And right next to you is a person who's going to eventually be appointed by our dear governor Jay Inslee, a superior court judge in Pierce County. That's pretty incredible. 
Yeah, that's pretty huge. That's awesome. Also, he's uh, one of the best. One of the best third Pelton brothers, without question. Third Pelton brother Hall of Fame. <clears throat> so speaking of judging and and third Pelton brothers, <sighs> alas, our search for Seattle's best fried chicken has hit yet another snag. <laughs> we tried. It's a, not another snag. It's the same snag. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, they keep over. being different snags this time. So we tried to go to Cookies before the Husky game on Saturday. We had a plan, uh, a real nice Saturday planned. Uh, of going and getting cookies, fried chicken, and then going and getting God, heaven sent. A real lovely Saturday. In Lake City, uh-huh. and then going to tailgate for the Husky game. And call up, we go on the cookies Instagram, actually, before we decided to head down there and see that, nope, they're closed for the weekend because of a plumbing issue. You like that? Cookies is like fucking Brigadoon. Like... Cookies, cookies is they are open once every one hundred years, right? But anytime Randy goes there, when either Seattle or Seabrook, out of it comes cookies fried chicken. And I don't deny that it's great, but if you can't have it, how could it be Seattle's best fried chicken? We're hoping they won't have these same issues when they open their own brick and mortar location. But anyways, brick and mortar location that was for Mrs. Fantasy Genius too, right? What? No, Brigadoon. Oh, I can do <laughs> she wasn't. She wasn't listening. But that's a. That's when you get cookies fried chicken every 100 years. Or anytime Randy goes. But that's okay because that means more time for an annual tradition unlike any other on the Pelton cast. Wow, we're getting right into this. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to give my theory about the crack and I'll save it. Yeah, save it. Okay. And that is our 10 players for Tristan to watch. And the listener to watch during this upcoming NBA season, uh, which you'll remember has featured such notable players as Yusuf Nurkic, Nikola Jokic, uh, other Denver Nuggets, uh, Juan Hernan Gomez, Monte Morris. Uh, who's the, oh, was, uh, Hernan Gomez was back to back years. <laughs> two times, the only other uh, two time player to last watch. Last year, Facundo Campazzo from the Nuggets. So oh, I hate that Facundo Campazzo. Yeah, I, and where did you first learn about Facundo Campazzo on this list, which you surely forgot about until the playoffs happened and the Blazers played the Nuggets? All right, this year's list of ten players. We start with an uh, Argentinian Wait, can, guard. Can you? You're getting right into this here. Take a second. Ryan. Okay, so these are generally players. They're they're generally foreign rookies. That's <laughs> the idea. Uh, but players that you you probably don't know. That uh, some of them will fade into obscurity, like uh, who was on the list last year who faded into obscurity. I guess last year was a pretty good list, but John Conchar is pretty ob- still pretty obscure. You're, you're just like really impressed with yourself by last year. These are well, these I'm just are, saying these I... are like the indie basketball players. Yes, right. That's if, a good way to put it. If there were going to be players, hipster basketball players, it's get to know these players before everybody else was. Right. This is this is you who's who's there, and you're like I was I was listening to Phoebe Bridgers on the EP, right. You're like, before they played SNL, I heard them on this list of Pelton cast players. Exactly. So again, we start with an Argentinian guard who played for them in the Olympics and was in Spain last year, was playing when he got drafted and continued to play in Spain. Uh, Now coming over to play for the Timberwolves, Leandro Bomaro, who actually has, we're going to talk about UW players as well here. He's probably going to block Jalen Noel from playing this year. So not, not altogether great for Bomaro. But uh, he's probably a long-term guy to watch. Uh, Still quite young, pretty inexperienced. Was he a first-round draft pick? Where was he drafted? Yeah, he was a late first-round pick, and they stashed him for a year. Okay. I'm not going to guess what what team the players are on. I 
the two it's of pretty time consuming. <clears throat> okay. All right, next up. I'll hey. discuss the nuggets for everybody. <laughs> well, I'll let you guess when we get to our nuggets player, because obviously there's a nuggets player. Uh, Moses Brown of the Dallas Mavericks, which are his third team in the last calendar year. He was with Oklahoma City, put up huge numbers in the G League bubble season. Then they started him in the second half of the season after they shut down Al Horford, put up huge numbers, uh, and then they traded him as part of the trade that sent Horford to the Celtics, and the Celtics did not keep him for very long. They sent him to Dallas in the Josh Richardson trade, and Dallas uh, uh, cut someone with a guaranteed contract, I can't remember who off the top of my head, to keep him on the roster. So they definitely have, but they have like five centers. They already have Boban to kind of play the same role that Moses mm-hmm. Brown does, yes. which is a bummer. To but, be in John, John Wick. Yes, exactly. But uh, if he does get a chance to play, watch out for Moses Brown, who started his career as a two-way player for the Trailblazers. Oh, really? You clearly don't recall. No re- no recollection of Moses Brown. All right. But so, so he's a center? Who's, yeah. And he put up huge numbers. He was at UCLA. was like a pretty big prospect. <laughs> I remember that name. But didn't get drafted. And uh, then I tried to avoid college basketball. <laughs> it's a wise decision. Why do we even watch it? Okay. Right, next on our list, someone who legitimately could play a key role for a contender this year, uh, Javon Carter of the Brooklyn Nets, traded by the Suns to the Nets as part of the trade that sent Landry Shamit to Phoenix oh, on draft trade. night. Uh, he is going to be part of their second unit backcourt. He is playing a bigger role with Kyrie Irving out of the rotation here. So it's him and Patty Mills coming off the bench for the Nets, uh, and he's their best perimeter defender at guard. So going to get some run for sure. All right, next up, someone I added to the list because I mentioned offhand while we were chatting yesterday in unrecorded podcast mm-hmm. uh, that Daniel Gafford had been extended by the Washington Wizards for three years and $40 million. Oh, we were just having a good time talking. And you were like, who's Daniel Gafford? So I was like, <laughs> we better go on the list. I didn't Daniel, even hear the name you said. <laughs> Daniel Gafford. He, three years, $40 million $40 million. For Daniel Gafford? Yeah. Uh, are you sure? I'm. I'm. I double checked it. I mean, it's the Wizards, so I don't. I don't question it. But I, there's some rationale to this because he came. They got him at the trade deadline. He was seemingly kind of a throw-in in their trade with Chicago because he hadn't played very much for the Bulls. Played 18 minutes a game after the trade deadline. Averaged 10 points. You know, like five rebounds, two blocks in those 18 minutes a game. And the team went 17-6 and six in the 23 games he played for the Wizards after the trade deadline. So he's like a super athletic, rim protector, above-the-rim finisher, uh, and kind of rounded out his game defensively after he got to Washington last year so he could play more minutes. I'm skeptical whether this is a real person. Okay. <laughs> Definitely a real person. I looked them up. Round two, pick 38. A center? I feel like a lot of big men on this list so far. It is a big, heavy list this year for whatever reason. Uh, next up, I mean, t- they tend to be more international. Players tend to be big, so that's probably not surprising. An international player who is not a big is going to start at point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder this year. Oh. is a rookie. Mm, I don't like anything about him. Josh Giddy, the Australian who uh, they drafted. Uh, is kind of their consolation prize when they didn't end up with a lottery pick this year, didn't get Houston's pick, but they they still had their lottery pick. They didn't move into the top four, I should say. They still had their pick just outside it at number six, and that's where they took Giddy, who uh, we didn't really see in summer league. He sprained his ankle like a minute into summer league, and he was the one big draft pick who didn't play, but played a lot during preseason, showed some uh, 
some definite court vision. Shooting might be a bit of a struggle for him. This kid the is NBA the sixth pick in the draft. Yeah, this is a fucking bust right here. Oh no! I'm telling you right now, I could just I could see everything about it. I I've judged everything about this person just by googling them shortly, understanding that they're on the Thunder and they were the sixth pick in the draft. This is a bust. Oh wow! Can't tough, shoot. Tough break. Yeah, I mean, what are the odds of Thunder play? You actually feel like Josh Giddy is going to be a good player in the NBA? I do. He rated pretty well statistically. <clears throat> An Australian player who can't shoot. <laughs> no trouble could come of that. Well, <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that situation. He, he's willing to shoot. He just They're not that super accurate at this point. It's more like Matisse Thibault if we're going to talk about Australian players. Yeah. Questionable outside shots. Lefty also, right? Or no? no? That's just a picture of Joe Ingles. <laughs> Apparently so. Okay. I, I don't know how you can guess because I've already told you that the player I'd make you guess is the Nuggets player. But the next player on the list is from the Nuggets. And you said you had a vague recollection of them drafting somebody that I liked. Well, and there was the one player in the draft that you were like... Oh, we're, we're getting to him. Okay. Don't worry. He's on the that's list. That's not this person. It is not. Uh, this person is Bones Highland, who <laughs> was out of VCU. Combo guard, good shooter little bit of playmaking, but probably going to end up a shooting guard in the NBA, especially, you know, eventually like long term next to Jamal Murray, that sort of thing. I just Googled Bones Highland, the exact opposite of Josh Giddy, superstar in the make. <laughs> oh, wow. Are you kidding me? Uh, so when I went to talk to people, other like analytics people who work in the league at Summer League, all of them love Bones Highland. They all wanted their team to you draft. Don't him. get We're the nickname excited. Bones for no reason, right? I, I mean, know the Bones Barry, obviously, but like. Yeah. Bonesberry, he got that deep in his career. No, I think they they pretty much always called him Bones. From uh, like the Clippers era, he was Bones. Yeah, I think so. I it's well, look, Bonesberry was great. One hundred percent, one of our favorite players in Sonic's history. He would be like a max player in twenty twenty one. Oh, led the league in true shooting percentage back before anyone knew that was a thing. But to Bones Highland, I mean, it's not an easy nickname to get. So he'll he'll play a fair bit, I think, as a rookie. They've got a lot of options at guard, but they're very excited about his this future. This is like every so. other Nuggets guard. That he like is in what sense? I mean, he like like physically is like long. Seems like he could play a little bit of defense, can shoot a little bit. The Nuggets just like they matriculate these guards out of nowhere. I don't know if I'd quite say that. Will Barton, Monte Morris, who else? There's more. I mean, I don't think we're going to put Compazzo on that list. No, Austin no, Rivers. there were like two more, though. There were like two more that they had two years ago. Uh, PJ, had, like, PJ Dozier? I mean, maybe it was Dozier. They had like six players who were all the exact same player on the Nuggets. Well, they had Tory Craig at that point. Oh, and Tory well. Craig. But yeah, maybe not. Highland has a lot more upside than any of these guys, but Will Barton. Bones, Bones is going to be better than all of them. Now, the one thing we usually do is it's usually an international <clears throat> player on the Nuggets. So if we were going to go with that spirit, the guy would be Peter Cornley who was a second-round pick by them several years ago. They brought over on a two-way contract this year, but uh, Bones had to be the guy. Are the, so the Nuggets, is this the same front office that has drafted most of these players? Yeah. And they're just phenomenal at drafting, basically. So they hired uh, a guy named Lane Vashero, who uh, was just had the best draft projections out there when he was public before he went to go work. He first worked for Kroenke. And was Present doing... company in- included? Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> It's like very exciting when you got hired. It's like, okay. You're take like, those off get the, the fuck out of here. <laughs> the machine doesn't need competition. I'm happy for right? You're not about to change your whole brand name over here. Very happy for Lane. The machine's not about to become Oculus or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
The metaverse? <laughs> the metaverse. <laughs> You're like, like the branding is more important than anything else. I was wondering, should we rebrand? Oh, the Pelton cast? Yeah. Oh, to the Carcino cast? Well, I don't know about that. To what? I don't know. I'm just saying, do we need to rebrand? Would we have a better reputation if we rebranded? I don't think so. Okay. That's not going to hide, hide all of the negative reviews. I, I don't think the reputation's changing. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, don't I don't think the worst, the worst part about it is the name. <laughs> it was the content? It's the content. Well, that's the point. Similar it's, to Facebook. It's not like, yeah. It's, it's the content. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, do we have anything more on the, on the on, point? Oh, on the, so on they the hired, Island? <laughs> no, they, I don't. They hired Blaine. Okay. And then they also have a highly regarded international scout. So I, like, they're on it. What year did they hire that person? Uh, Tim Connolly or Lane? Lane the, was, Tim Connolly. Tim Connolly was like 13, I want to say. How much paying them? It was after Masai Ujiri went to Toronto. Okay. How much do you think they're paying them? Like, GM? Like, a person who can basically, in the like, game the draft... What are you talking, so you're talking about Lane, who does the projections? Yeah. A person who can do that is worth millions of dollars, right? Like, there's a lot of teams just fucking shooting darts out there. And being able to, with the 26th pick in the draft, be able to go out and get a competent NBA player is worth more than most GMs are worth to begin with. That's not unreasonable. I don't know. He was with the he was with Kroenke before when Sean McVay took over. I know that. So before that is when he started with the organization. Oh, so Daryl Henderson's his fault too. <laughs> Taylor Rapp, great gains. I mean, they have their own very strong analytics group. He's not involved with the Rams anymore. Don't tell me he's the reason they drafted Cooper Cup. God damn it! <laughs> I can't. Well, I can't rule that. He's not taking credit for that. That's for sure. I doubt it. Uh, He's got Bones Highland. He doesn't need Cooper Cup. Sticking on our Aussie theme. The only player in the NBA with whom I have once shared a row on a Southwest flight <laughs> God damn it. is Jock Landale, who at the time was playing in Summer League. I think might have been for San Antonio. I forget who he was playing for. Or Atlanta. He shared a row? What does that mean? He was in the he was in the window seat. I was in the aisle seat. Okay. On our flight from Salt Lake City to Las Vegas, from the Salt Lake City Summer League to the Vegas Summer League. Did you chat with him? No, no not at all. <laughs> like you going to Momofuku in Vegas? Oh, uh, you know, I left him alone. So he was a star at St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good there, but... One of those guys who were like, well, is he going to be able to translate to the NBA? But now he's getting an opportunity after starring in his native Australia to play for the Spurs. Uh, they're another team that waived a guy with a guaranteed contract. Al Farouk Aminu, former Blazer. Oh, Chief? Chief, yeah. Oh. Uh, Bring Chief back. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I don't know what that, about that one, Chief. Uh, so he, he will, uh, and it's him and Drew Eubanks, a former Oregon State Center, battling for minutes behind Utah's Jakob Pertl. We've got right. a lot Didn't of... He have some questionable facial hair, Drew Eubanks? I don't think he had questionable facial hair. But a lot of, a very peck uh, West Coast feel to the San Antonio Spurs center rotation. And that's why they're college. quite bad, right? I don't think that's why they're quite bad. Oh, yeah. No, semi-questionable facial hair. Okay. Uh, next up. Uh, someone who we, I guess we saw a fair bit in the preseason for the Lakers. Not at all as they opened the season on Tuesday night. Uh, Austin Reeves out of Oklahoma, but played a fair bit during the preseason. Uh, I, I now that they picked up Avery Bradley, it looks like he's probably not going to play at all in the regular season. But you never know with the Lakers. 
they're they're going to be looking for contributors on the wing all season long. He's out of Oklahoma, by the way. Was undrafted, one of the best undrafted players, and he was a Lakers shocker too before then. Snagged him uh, initially on a two way, and then all right. Next up, a a favorite, another favorite of the statistical analysis community, although not as much as the last person on the list. A second round pick last year by the Sixers, who dominated the G League, winning MVP honors last year. They know him as B-Ball Paul. That's oh. Paul Reed of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, unclear how much he's going to play because they added Andre Drummond as a backup to Joel Embiid. Another big man. Yeah, they're wow. all about that. <clears throat> so, uh, But probably we'll get a, an opportunity at some point when Embiid misses some time. And uh, <laughs> very productive when he does get out there. B-Ball Paul. Yep. I've also Googled Bill James. Does not look like Austin Reeves at all. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't him. <laughs> All right, last on our list. This is the one. Is the star of my 2021 draft <sighs> projections. And everyone's really. Like, he just had amazing stats for his age. Plain is the MVP of the Turkish Super League last year. And drafted fittingly, even though Daryl Morey is not there anymore, he's in Philadelphia drafting Paul Reed. Oh, yeah. By the Houston Rockets, who traded with Oklahoma City. The Thunder had the chance at this Dodged guy. it. Dodged a bullet. Passed on <clears throat> Elbrin Shengun. Oh, yeah, Shengun, yes. Who then went into Summer League. It was great. It was great in the preseason. Uh, scouts have constantly questioned whether his production will translate because of the fact that he's undersized for a center and not particularly athletic, but he just knows how yeah. to play basketball. Doncic, he's not athletic enough for the I NBA. mean, he's not Luka Doncic. I want to be clear about but that. But you understand, right? Like, that, that's kind of, it's the same dialogue. It's definitely similar. There's some overlap. Man, Alper and Shingun. Yeah. And so everybody's on the Shingun wagon, so to say. Where were the Nuggets when this pick was happening? <laughs> I mean, Houston traded two first-round picks. Like, they're, they're lottery-protected, but they had two future first-round picks what pick from was other he, teams that they traded. He was 16. Okay, so definitely didn't fall that far. No, but far compared to... I mean, even... Like the general consensus going into the draft is he'd probably go in the lottery. So really? it was surprising that he got out of there and fell as far as he did. And uh, the Rockets pairing him with Jalen Green. They had a, uh, two more first round picks. They drafted Usman Garuba, who's an athletic power forward out of Spain. Wow. Yeah. He's really going to test some functions on some keyboards this year. Yes. And then uh, with, with the, some umlauts. And what do you call the line out of the S? I don't know the, the term for that, technically. Uh, Josh Christopher was the fourth Houston first-round pick, so they've got a bunch of promising rookies God. on the roster this year. Going to be going to be fun to watch, even if they don't win a lot of games. We love to see it with Shingun being drafted by the Thunder, being the hottest prospect coming out of the draft this year. Everybody's saying it. And ending up in Houston. You know, it's happened before, where a star player left the Thunder and ended up in Houston first. <laughs> And, and many, a favorite of statistical analysts. And many are saying that Shingun is the next Harden. So there's your list of players to watch this year to run through it again. Leandro Bomaro, Moses Brown, Javon Carter. Can you say Carter, the teams when you, when you see the players' names? Leandro Bomaro, Minnesota Timberwolves, Moses Brown, Dallas Mavericks, Javon Carter, Brooklyn Nets, Daniel Gafford, Washington Wizards, Josh Giddy, Oklahoma City Thunder, Bones Highland, Denver Nuggets. Bones! Jock Landale, San Antonio Spurs, Austin Reeves, Los Angeles Lakers, Paul Reed, Philadelphia 76ers, and Elpern Shengun, Houston Rockets. That's superstar Elpern Shengun to you. Wow. Okay, so, so uh, you mentioned some Northwest players. Yeah, you know, let's run quickly through the UW and, and guys who went to high school in 
in Washington. I also want, I want to hear about Jalen Suggs. Okay, we'll, we'll include him as well. Uh, Markel Fultz playing with Jalen Suggs on the Magic. So he's not back yet from the ACL. He suffered early, torn ACL he suffered early last year because of the fact that the schedule started so late. You know, it's usually a 12-month injury, so probably around New Year's Day, Christmas, yeah. New Year's Day is when it's realistic to see Fultz. And it'll be interesting to see how he, how he fits. That's a crowded Magic backcourt now. Obviously, Suggs is going to get minutes. They Cole Anthony played a lot last year with Fultz out of the lineup. They've also got Gary Harris and Terrence Ross. Uh, I think another. Gary Harris was one of those Nuggets players. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was one of the players. That's true, yeah. yeah. He, he did not. He at some point stopped shooting it. Well, as it turned <clears> out. <throat> Hopefully, Bones Island shoots it better. So they've got they've got Ross and Fultz. Uh, Ross is like a lock to get moved at the trade deadline <laughs> because Orlando is rebuilding. He's in the last year of his contract. You don't think he could be traded before that? <laughs> lock, lock to get traded at the deadline? Yeah, I mean, those trades usually happen at the deadline. So that's that's what I'm expecting. It. That's really funny. He's played in his entire career in Orlando. No, he started in Toronto. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. He got traded there He's done a for T-Mac. Serge Ibaka. I mean, you're saying his career is similar to T-Mac. Also a dunk champion. Wait, T-Mac didn't win a dunk contest. I don't know what I'm thinking. He lost to Vince Carter the year that Vince won, but T-Mac was a, quite a good dunker in his own right. Uh, Justin Holiday with the Pacers, where it just remains very steady, came up in the low post appearance I did yesterday with uh, Zach Lowe. How, how did he come up? He's, we were talking about... How is this such a successful podcast? <laughs> We're over here. We're talking about good stuff. The fresh operation of Washington. Nobody listens. You're like, yeah, Justin Holiday. We got to dig deep into that. People are like fawning over the low post. I didn't bring up Justin Holiday. We were talking about that's even worse. Three and D role players who (laughs) could be cheaper alternatives to Mikhail Bridges. Who's listening to this? Who is listening to this podcast? God. Okay. Go check that out. Another player who came up on that podcast was Jaden McDaniels of the Timberwolves, who I mentioned was the last year. the needle to slightly more interesting. Last year, there were eight players. No, Justin Holiday's interesting. There were eight <laughs> players in the NBA who, between the first half and the second half of their season, improved their true shooting percentage by at least 10%. And three of those guys were Timberwolves, including Jaden McDaniels. Really? So really came on in the second half of the year. Probably going to start for them at power forward this year. Who else? The future is who bright. Else the Edwards. Anthony Edwards, of course. And Josh Kogi was the third. Uh, interesting. Uh, DeJounte Murray is probably the best player on the San Antonio Spurs this year. Wow. Depending on how you feel about Keldon Johnson and Jakob Pertl. And this is... And Derek White. Pop's still their coach. He is still their coach. He's just running through with a Mac Jones fucking year. Like <laughs> he's gonna go he's gonna go five and twelve this year. I had a friend chat me the other day about the pop pop uh Belichick parallels and how strong they are. Okay. We mentioned Jalen Noel, who is uh, still on the Timberwolves despite a non guaranteed contract. Probably not gonna play a ton because their backcourt is much deeper this year. They got D'Angelo Russell healthy. So are, are the Timberwolves gonna be okay? They got a chance. The statistical projections like the Timberwolves. We mentioned Ross. Uh, Isaiah Stewart starting at center for the Detroit Pistons. There we go. He's an established part of the core for them. Was all in all rookie second team last year. So a lot of excitement in Detroit about Isaiah Stewart. All right. Uh, Matisse Thybul, <laughs> as we mentioned, uh, with the Sixers. 
maybe going to play a slightly bigger role this year with Ben Simmons, his uh, fellow Aussie, a question mark for his availability. Played a ton last year during their playoff series. Was involved in that infamous play where Simmons passed up a... Uh, a layup or a dunk he, to pass the ball to Thibault. Yeah, who <laughs> then went for one for two at the free throw line. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. But uh, all defensive pick last year, despite his limited minutes, and very deservingly so. Yeah. So just looking to see if he can improve that three element of the three and D. All right, some other Washington products. Uh, C.J. Ellaby with the Blazers back in a reserve role. I think he's a year away from threatening for minutes in Portland. Always given their usual two, second round development schedule. Uh, Malachi Flynn, who, like LLB, started his career at Wazoo before transferring to San Diego State in his second year with the Raptors as a first-round pick for them. Really first-round pick? Yeah, he really came on at the yeah. end of last year when Kyle Lowry was sitting out. <clears throat> May not play as much of the first half of this year because they've got Fred Van Vliet and Goran Dragic at guard, but Dragic is another guy who is very likely to get moved at the trade deadline, and that could create some more minutes for Flynn down the stretch. Uh, Joe Harris, Chelan product with the Brooklyn Nets, was uh, in action earlier this evening as they opened the season. Uh, and after a slow start, knocked down some threes. So it remains a key really player like for the Northwest player. Because he went to Virginia, but he did originally commit to Wazoo. It's just, just Tony Bennett left and went to Virginia. Oh, That's why he followed him there. Uh, speaking of Joe Harris, a guy who a lot of people compared to him is Corey Kispert, who the Wizards drafted just outside the lottery this year out of Gonzaga. A little bit of a tough preseason for Corey <laughs> no Kispert. Shit. So he may, day. he may not play a lot because they've got a lot of depth this season after making the Russell Westbrook trade with the Lakers. What team is Drew Timmy on? Uh, he's still on Gonzaga. Consensus <laughs> preseason All-America pick. Very good shot at winning the McDonald's and wooden trophies. Very good shot at playing. And they still have the CBA. They do not, no. Uh, Zach Levine with the Bulls. Big year for Who's him. the best team in the NBA DL? The G League. The G, the G League. League, sorry. Sorry. Uh, sorry. NBA Australia. Zach Levine, well, first time All Star last year, going in, was an Olympian. Uh, the Bulls are hoping to be much more competitive this season. They were pretty good Aren't in the preseason. Uh, even though the statistical projections do not like their chances. Yeah, yeah. Pel- Pelton Cass can relate. Levine has... <laughs> Hoping to be much better, but the statistical... Oh, uh, so if Bradley Beal extends with the Wizards, Levine would be far and away the best free agent on the market next summer. Interesting. Uh, I believe Brian Windhorst has said it could be the summer of Levine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's similar to the summer of George. Summer of George. <laughs> but He's going to eat a block of cheese. <laughs> Uh, Jaden's older brother Jalen McDaniels with the Hornets played a fair bit off the bench for them last year may not get as many minutes this year because they added Kelly Oubre Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. with the Rockets there's so many Northwest players yeah definitely I mean these are basically some of these guys are not Seattle specifically but these are all state of Washington Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is going to start for them for Houston at point guard next to Jalen Green they really believe in him their first round pick he they, they do. He kind of plays... They, they're having him play like James Harden. He is a lefty, so it's like James Harden. He's not as efficient as James Harden yet, but he's he's fun to watch for sure. I didn't think of what that's like. God. Uh, who is the quarterback who would come in for Rodgers like four years ago? He started one playoff game. Come in for Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers, and he was like... He started a playoff game for the Packers, and you were like, you know, he kind of moves like Aaron Rodgers, but... It's not Matt Flynn, is it? <laughs> well, uh, 
Speaking of Porter Juniors, Michael Porter Jr. signed a max extension with the Nuggets this offseason. So uh, did he get he he's gotten vaxxed? No. Oh, okay. He's no. just he's able to play because of yeah, they, there's no requirement in this in Denver or the state of Colorado. So not it's not an issue in the same way that it was for Kyrie Irving in New York City. Well. So uh that's not not great. Uh but uh, had a breakthrough season last year, really became their second best player with Jamal Murray's injury, their second leading scorer, and projects into that role again this season with Murray likely to miss probably the entire regular season. Oh, wow. I mean, he tore his ACL in April, in mid-April. So that's the end of the regular season if it's Dang. a 12-month absence. Okay. People are like talking about him coming back in the regular season. I just don't get it because, again, it's been, I think, since 2014 that any player has come back faster than 12 months. So maybe a couple games at the tail end, but I'd be really? surprised if he plays before April. It's been that long since somebody's come back. Yeah. Kobe Bryant. Uh, he did not have an ACL injury. He had an Achilles. Uh-huh. Uh, it was J.J. Hickson. Oh. The legendary J.J. <laughs> Hickson. They don't call you the machine for nothing. <clears throat> I've written that so many times in storage. That exact <laughs> line. Uh, anybody else? I guess you mentioned Suggs. He, he's a legit rookie of the year contender. How has he played so far? He was not good in the preseason. He was good in summer league, but not good in preseason. So, we'll see. And I guess to... to I mean, it was 67 minutes. So what does it really mean? To put a bow on the NBA season for a second here uh, and talk about Portland. Obviously, not a lot of change up with the roster, necessarily. Yeah, I mean, Larry Nance Jr. is the biggest addition. There, there was chatter about... Uh, some very large potential changes, I suppose, still could be in the mix in Portland. So Damian Lillard came out today in a piece that Jason Quick of the Athletic did and said, "I'm staying in Portland. Like I haven't. It doesn't. I know we're gonna. St- I expect us to go through adversity. I don't plan to ask for a trade. I plan to be here." <clears throat> and he attributed that to the relationship that he's built with their new coach, Chauncey Billups. So that is the big change, him replacing Terry Stotts. Exactly. And and that's really the biggest difference between the Blazers last year to this year is Chauncey Billups. Obviously, without playing a single regular season game yet, what what is the what is the vibe? What is the tenor in the city of Portland around Chauncey Billups? There were question marks around his hire, uh, and I think reasonably from the fan base. But on the court and what's happening right now with Chauncey Billups, what is... What is that looking like? I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but it's come up on Twitter. The Blazers, we've talked about this. The Blazers are like the Seahawks in so many ways. Damian Lillard's there, Russell Wilson. And people had so many frustrations built up about Terry Stotts. Russell Wilson, for the record, has not had a piece with Jason Quick saying he's going to be here for the long haul. That is true. And because of his relationship with Pete Carroll. (laughs) So, like Pete Carroll has been the head coach for a long time, and... You, you know, many of his shortcomings become frustrating over that time. In the same way, people became very frustrated with Terry Stotts, some of his strategic moves. And Chauncey Billups is like, all those things that fans were upset about, they're doing the opposite this year. More touches for Nurk in the post. Uh, more aggressive defense instead of <clears throat> dropping back on the pick and roll and just letting teams walk into mid-range jumpers. And the result in, in that they did that in the preseason is they were winless and uh, generally got beat pretty badly and gave up a ton of three-pointers. And I think that there's probably that they're probably going to find fans are probably going to find out. Hey, there's a reason that Terry Stotts didn't do those things on defense, and that reason is because they have two. Sm- I, I mean, they're not Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum aren't necessarily small, but they they don't 
contest shots from behind. They don't do the kind of things you would need to do to play the style of defense that people want them to play. And so even though the Blazers' defense was very bad last season when they were 29th in defensive rating, I think that was more a function of the personnel, which has gotten better because they don't have a backup front court now of Carmelo Anthony and well, S. Cantor. Health, health is quite a bit better. Yes. It, it going into the season. <clears throat> if, but the concern is now the guys they do have in the front court, Nurkic, Larry Nance Jr., Cody Zeller, all of those guys have a track record of generally missing time over the course of the season. And they're the only three guys who can play center on the roster because Marquise Chris, UW product, did not make the team. Uh-huh. Dennis Smith Jr. got the final roster spot. Damn. I like both of them. I know. Dennis Smith was in the mix. Like He's, he's still in the mix. He's there. And they cut Marquise Chris? They did. And they could have cut Mar- Cody Zeller? Well, he had a guaranteed contract and a much much more proven track record of NBA Man. success. So Marquise Chris is the free agent? He is, yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, if Chauncey, I have actually a very high degree, as a casual Blazers fan, I have a high degree of trust in Terry Stotts, though. And part of this is going back to his time cheering for him as Sonic's assistant coach in the 90s. Like, I'm not really going to question any Sonics assistant coach from the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, I knew Even Bob Weiss? We'll see. Totally pause there. We'll see. I don't know if we, I think we did say. But Dwayne Casey, Terry Stotts, coaches like that, I will always assume these are the best coaches in NBA history. Uh, and always will think positively about George Carl, Nate, obviously, etc. But it was a very good coaching staff. It was. And you can't really question that. Right. But Chauncey Billups, I have no real history with. And I think that if Chauncey, if the team is better than they were under Chauncey than under Terry Stotts, it'll be because of health more than anything. I mean, definitely that's a big factor. So Nurkic and McCollum both missed time last year. They a were lot a better time. team after they added Powell with Norman Powell at the trade deadline for Gary Trent Jr. And they got him re signed this offseason. So. They do, I think, project a little better on paper, but they're still, I think, probably in that six to eight mix in okay. the West, which could put you in the play-in. You're hoping to avoid the play-in. All right. Well, you know, we'll see. Indeed we will. They start tomorrow night against Sacramento. I'm going to miss it. That's, I missed last year's home opener, so that obviously, because I didn't go to a game <laughs> until... Uh, April, so that broke my streak of going to uh, Blazers home Where openers. Are you be? I decided to just stay home and watch ah. all the games instead of instead of watching Blazers because usually it's a bit more of a marquee. Like two years ago, is Blazers Nuggets coming off their playoff series. So this is not as, as this is your chance to go see. Oh my God, who's your your dude? For Tyrese the... Halliburton. Yeah, Hall- yes, this is your I chance know. to go see Halliburton live, right? He's like a players to watch all star. Oh, indeed he is. He obviously was on last year's list. He's the Shengun of last year's list. 100%. All right. Let's hope well, it goes as well for Shengun as it did for Tyrese Halliburton. I'm I'm fascinated for another NBA season. Indeed. I am as well. All right. Let's get to the Kraken. Because you apparently have takes on the Kraken. <laughs> who got their first win after surrendering an early goal Thursday in Nashville, they scored back-to-back goals after the first fight in franchise history. First of many. Are they, they're fighting a lot? They're fighting at least a couple times a game lately. I love it. To take the lead in the first period, uh, Preds got in the equalizer on a five-on-three power play, but then 
Uh, Alex Wenberg scored the game-winning goal midway through the second period, and they held on until Brandon Tanev at Brandon Tanev empty net goal with 121 remaining, which made the Nashville score with 40 seconds left irrelevant and gave the Kraken that 4-3 win, first time in franchise history. Saturday, they got a point. Didn't win the game, but for going OT, they got a point. They, uh, Tanev again scored the lone goal at Columbus, giving the Kraken the lead in the second period. The Blue Jackets even the score in the third period. I have a quarter on here before winning it two minutes and 16 seconds into overtime. Monday, not so hot. Uh, Kraken trailed 5 nothing in Philadelphia against Dave Haxtell's former team before Philip Grubauer was pulled midway through the second period with Chris Drieger making his Kraken debut. In net, he allowed just one goal and seven shots as the game ended 6-1. Unfortunately, Drieger suffered an undisclosed injury in that Philadelphia game and was placed on IR Tuesday. <laughs> it's like Kadarius Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yes. With Joey Dackard called up from uh, Charlotte of the AHL to get the start and give Grubauer a night off on the back-to-back. In happier news, Yanni Gord made his return for the crack and giving them you know, maybe their most talented offensive player and, and goal scorer, point producer. Uh, Kraken went down 2 nothing early in that New Jer- at New Jersey and had a goal overturned for offsides. They did rally within 3-2 before giving up an empty net goal in the final minute to produce the 4-2 final. So, so I, I've watched quite a bit of hockey for this last week. And, you know, I think we talked about this at the expansion draft. They really started, they started at the net forward, right? Yes. Philip Grubauer was kind of the core of the team. And interesting to see him. I, I mean, we didn't see this game on Saturday because we were at the Husky football game. And <laughs> Have you saw it? But the attack has been a real issue for the Kraken. And Which scoring, we knew it was going to be. Scoring goals has been a real issue. Uh, but I would like to pose the question. Had the Kraken cursed all of Seattle sports? Oh, Wow. And since they have played a professional game as a franchise, even a preseason game as a franchise, we're looking at let's just let's just go back to when they were the arena was close to done. I mean, we have Husky football at the lowest point it's been in, in nearly a decade. Russell Wilson missing his first game since his ever. Uh, we have the Sounders losing a match on the road, really not looking great. And the Kraken of all teams. Oh, well, Rain lost. Not playing was, well. Oh, Rain lost. six from Seattle sports teams that we are on our rundown on My Saturday fantasy and teams lost very devastating games on uh, uh, this last week. Really, this didn't affect my fantasy teams, which went three and now. Also, Death Cab for Cutie hasn't put out a great record in a few years. Uh, so uh, you have to kind well, of. What do you think was the last great Death Cab album? <laughs> I don't know. Kintsugi. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but. You, Did you, you see the quote, by the way, that I retweeted from Ben Gibbard? What was the quote? So during the concert on Tuesday, he said, the best thing about Climate Fletch Arena is that my commute to Storm, our commute to Storm games got much shorter. There it is. No disrespect to Everett. There it like is. Maybe a little disrespect to Everett, if I'm being honest. Oh, fine. We're fine with disrespect to Everett. That's not a question. The disrespect there is not to Everett, if we're being real here. It's to the Seattle Kraken. And that's what <laughs> Ben Gibbard is all about, is... It doesn't. He wasn't saying anything about the the what do you what do you call the tenant the the anchor tenant the anchor tenant. It's still fucking bullshit. Like if we're if we're if we are really honing in on this, having hockey as the number one tenant in this arena, it's not what we we're looking for. It's not what we wanted. It's fine. It's 
Okay. We have reached a level of average. There's a thing to turn on root sports if we want to. But there's still not basketball. We're not doing 10 players to watch Philip Khrushchev or whatever, right? Like, we're not out here talking about... Well, I don't happen to write about the NHL. Whether you did or not, the reality... I feel like you would feel a lot different things about the reality is an NHL national writer. By It would be a much worse podcast. And nobody listens as it is. Uh, The reality is... By prioritizing hockey over anything else, they have cursed the city of Seattle. Wow. And Seattle sports will never be good ever again. Wow. And I, I fear for another Death Cab for QDL. Oh, boy. Well, I hope that that curse I, is lifted by shout, Saturday. Shouts to Ben Gibbard, though. Yeah. Lifelong Mariners fan, Ben Gibbard. Uh, when the, they, lifelong Storm fan. Apparently, yeah. I, I've never seen him in a game, so this was kind of surprising. To, to you know, he, he does it low-key. That's the thing about I, Ben Gibbard. I guess so. He's not trying to show up on the fucking court side with his you know gas can full of liquor. <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone's going to get that little John reference. <laughs> Remember when we've discussed that on the pod? Uh, so Saturday night, the op- arena opens for the Kraken as they host the rival Vancouver Canucks. A Darby match. In my opinion. <laughs> okay. Now, far as the Darby is with both... Well, I guess there's no Portland team. Yeah, that's not... Las they're Vegas? not going to play the Winterhawks. Does that, does that extend... Is would, Vegas a Darby to you? Would you consider when Everett plays the Thunderbirds, is that a Derby match to you? It's much closer. I, agree, I know, I agree, but they're not the same city. And you said that it had to be the same city last week. I actually don't care about when Everett plays the Thunderbirds. Yes. How about that? It's not a derby because I don't give a fuck and nobody cares. Uh, Tuesday, they host Montreal in the second game. The all-exciting second game oh. at Climate Pledge Arena. I'm surprised you don't consider that a derby match because they're also in Canada like Vancouver. So to go back to last week, uh, there was a listener email about our discussion about kicking uh, from friend of the pod, Eric Gratz, our our. Oh, or a resident hockey the listener. Uh, for what it's worth, in the last two seasons or so, the NHL has increased the standard for distinct kicking motion. You basically have to punt the puck into the net to get it called back. If your skate maintains contact with the ice, the goal is going to count. The second I saw the Vegas goal, I knew it was going to count. I saw the Seattle Times article referencing goals all the way back to 2014, but those were called under a different standard. The equivalent is like comparing pass interference from 2010 to today. The rule was the same, but how they call it is different. Uh, P.S. I'm very con- This was from Thursday, by the way. I'm very concerned about the 2021 Seahawks, largely because I agree with almost all of Tristan's takes. There we go. <laughs> so thanks for the email, Eric, and the, uh, the update on the kicking rule. I like that. I really appreciate when you uh, said that the Seattle Times had it wrong. <laughs> uh, Sounders, as we've mentioned. Oh, also, this is like this is the same as like the taunting penalty in the NFL. Who was asking for this, right? I mean, who, I think probably who out there was like, "Oh yeah, we need more taunting penalties." But I think, in it, the same I think way, it's the opposite. I think people probably do want more. Goals. We want more kicking in hockey. They want more Look, goals. I've been a hockey fan for like three days, and I do not want more kicking. Use the stick. They give you a stick to put in your hands. Did you see? It would be thing? like if in soccer you had a thing to hit the ball with. Did you see that the Kraken got a call, a goal called back on replay? They they got because of kicking by the devil. No, not by because of kicking. <laughs> they were offsides, but the Devils challenged it and won. Got a goal called back. 
All right, Seattle Sounders, as we mentioned, a 2-1 loss Saturday at Houston, a surprising outcome, playing without Raul Ruiz Diaz, who remained in Peru after the international break to rehab his hamstring injury. The Sounders went behind 2-0 in the first 20 minutes. They pulled back a goal through Jimmy Madronda just before halftime, but couldn't find the equalizer in the second half. Uh, besides Ruiz Diaz, some good news on the injury front. Nico Ladero returned to training Tuesday. Uh, still a ways off from a return, but moving in the right direction after his knee surgery. And Jordan Morris also on his way towards returning probably before the end of the MLS wow. regular season, which is That's awesome. Good to hear, because I don't know what kind of Stanley Hotel energy was going on this weekend with Seattle sports, but it extended all the way to the Sounders. And it extended a, all the way to Houston, <clears throat> apparently. In a way that we were not anticipating. No, as well as they had been playing. Uh, on the downside... Left-back Brad Smith suffered a sprain to the AC joint in his right shoulder in training out Wednesday at a minimum as a, the Sounders enter a huge week with matchups against both of the other top three teams in the Western Conference. Uh, Wednesday against Colorado, Saturday hosting Sporting Kansas City. They're currently five points <clears throat> ahead of Sporting KC and six ahead of Colorado with all three of those teams level at 29 games played. And a pair of wins here because these are the top challengers would just about clinch the top spot in the Western Conference and a bye in the first round of the playoffs with just three matches remaining in the MLS regular season after this week. Uh, the Rapids have won just twice since Labor Day weekend, lost 3-1 to Real Salt Lake on Saturday, and Sporting KC has lost three of their last four, including to Houston, like the Sounders, and to Vancouver, their last two. Uh, so, match. Certainly in good form, you know, certainly good for the Sounders in terms of the form these other teams are playing lately. But uh, I'll be sure to text you Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Thank you. Sounders playing Colorado Rapids. I, I'm expecting it. Well, Rain also lost on Saturday 2 nothing at home to the Washington Spirit. They were Man. held. I, I'm telling you, it was a real bad day. That's Saturday. And allowed the first career goal to Taylor Ulmer in the second after halftime to new NWSL leading scorer Ashley Hatch. Uh, just three of the Reigns' 15 shots were on goal. Reigns still second in the NWSL standings, entering this weekend's international break, leading up to the final week of the regular season. Uh, can no longer catch the Portland Thorns for the top seed in the NWSL playoffs, but can still secure the number two seed and a bye to the semifinals with a win at Kansas City in their finale or a draw and Gotham FC failing to win one of their three remaining games. Uh, they could also finish second, even if they lost their finale, but that's going to require a lot of help. So uh, we'll get probably more into that next week when we have a better sense of it. So the event we were at on Saturday, as you discussed, was UW football's 24-17 loss to UCLA. Any uh, takeaways for you from this game? <laughs> Your first game at Husky Stadium since the 2019 Apple Cup. It was really, really a lovely experience. Uh, my takeaways were, wow, God, look at the line for Friday, Friday, sorry, not Saturday, the line for Friday, wild. Uh, my takeaways were, it was great to be there. And I said this, I gave, I gave a long speech about how good it was to be back at Husky Stadium, to be watching football live. And then <clears throat> I watched this Husky football team play <laughs> live. No, no, no. Uh, the reality was it was still great to to experience the whole the whole thing right to walk in husky stadium just smell husky stadium why aren't you watching quite fast despite the vaccination check 
there was there's a distinct smell to Husky Stadium, which I think is really interesting. Uh, it's not great, but <laughs> but no, just like every everything about it, it's a fun place to be. I mean, I love where we're on the East End Zone. I love the just like sort of like debaucherous in nature of where we are. Right, it kind of feels like anything goes in the East End Zone. It's such a different experience than being at a Seahawks game, and. The whole the whole day, right? We went and got chicken. We tailgated. We played bags beforehand. We drank beer. We went into Husky Stadium. Like nothing really beats that. Yep. So I'm sick of making the walk out of Husky Stadium after a loss. It's been oh. happened a lot the last two seasons. There have been home well, games. Yeah, there have been fans. Probably driving a better coach. But the reality is, I mean, Chris Peterson was the coach for as many of those losses, <laughs> maybe more than Jimmy Lake was. The the reality is, what I'm saying is that it sucks walking out after a loss. Any stadium. I mean, I've been at so many Seahawks games the last two yeah, times. But you're not like everyone isn't funneled through the same location in quite the same way for as long at at Lumen Field as at Husky Stadium. My assessment is you're wrong. It is mm. brutal walking out of Lumen Field if there's a loss. I mean, I've walked out of there after a loss this season, too. It's not like it's been a long time for that. I'm doing it twice uh. and doing it once again on Monday. Uh, but no, it's like, we've lost a lot. Seahawks have lost a lot of home games in the last two we years. We need to bring back home field advantage. Like, everyone, people are like, oh, I want all the games to be even. Why should, you know, there be home field just who because referees are making that? calls, bad calls? Literally I who? With fucking Washington Post writers, you know what I mean? Like, who is asking Why are for this? We seeing Washington Post writers like that. I have many good friends at the Washington <laughs> Post. I just <laughs> Seattle's own Jerry Brewer. Jerry Brewer is uh, anti home field. No, no, you're making who this is anti home field? I don't know, but the leagues have been allowing it to dissipate. I don't know. It's probably the review process that's allowing it. To, there's more to it. Yeah, but. Well, let's get rid of review. It's problem solved. I'm not quite there. I'm actually on the side of more review, but I am very there. But most importantly, it was awful to watch Husky football. And also, also, most importantly, it was great to be at Husky Stadium. There, There are two separate pieces to this. There's the experience of being in Husky Stadium and watching a football game at it. And there's the other experience of watching a game at Husky Stadium, which is kind of brutal because you have to watch this Husky football team and see a team, the only college football team in the history of man who cannot run the ball. Like, well... They could run the ball in certain conditions Saturday. It, despite going against, as I mentioned in the preview, I think one of the top Pac-12 run defenses and one of the weakest, weakest pass they defenses. They decided to run the ball a lot. I I think they ran the ball about as much as you expect. But in the second half, they discovered this thing called at-snap motion. And it turns out that, as you have described it, it's a cheat code for running plays in particular. I don't know if it works as well for passing plays. Uh, I went back and charted it. Off the Pac-12 and 60 game tape. There were 11 run plays with that snap motion. Those averaged 0.3 EPA, expected points added per per play. Is that good? Yeah. I mean, having any positive EPA on runs, because runs are bad. Okay. On the 16 running plays without any motion, they had minus 0.3 expected (sighs) points added per play. And that's even with, I think, the, uh, the bad snap that went over Dylan Morris's head was... 
technically a running play, mm-hmm. and that was a play without snap motion. So oh, that's really? in that, and they still were that good. Because Kamari Pleasant got going, like he started oh, gashing yeah. the UCLA defense when they started running him and running him without snap motion. It's It was right there waiting for them. I mean, it's kind of, I hope that they can learn from this, but it would have been nice if it had happened earlier. But the, the other piece is, we talked about this going into the game. UCLA is a good run defense. UCLA was the worst pass defense in the entire Pac-12. And did they add snap motion is great. If you have to run, you should run in the right way, right? But, I mean, if you can get 0.3 EPA per play, you should run every down. But they did that. They didn't do that the entire game. They did that for half of the game, and they still scored 17 points. Like, Somebody only scored seven points in the second half. I don't, I don't get how they had, what happened there. Did they only hit? They didn't have very many possessions, I don't think, in the second half. Because they moved the ball pretty consistently then. They didn't. Again, I made it very clear last week that I would not compare Brian Dable to John Donovan. And I still, after this week's game, shockingly, would not compare Brian Dable to John Donovan. Because the game plan was not game plan for the defense they were playing. And just because they discovered at snap motion in the second half, no shit, every team on earth should discover that in football. If you were a football, if you were a play caller in the sport of football, you should discover at snap motion. It's not fucking rocket science here to see what's going on in the world of football. But just discovering that doesn't mean that they were doing the right thing. They still did not go into this game with a game plan for the defense they were playing. And that's the issue with John Donovan here. Or Jimmy, like, I don't know whom, but... I mean, part of it was the the fact that they're not that effective throwing the ball. But I will say, I think Dylan Morris played a better game on Saturday than people think he did. Okay. Because people seem to think, like, that pushed them more towards Sam Heward should be the starter. And I think it pushed me more towards having faith in Dylan Morris because... In particular, of how well he played on third down, you know, in a lot of situations where it was run, run, pass, and you're, you know, asking him to do the Russell Wilson thing and pick up these third downs. On third down Saturday, he went six of nine for 55 yards, plus two pass interferences and a defensive holding. So they can, when they passed on third down, they converted nine out of 12 times, which is not something I think that's sustainable over a large sample, but it's still Dylan Morris playing well in the most important situations, Why, which is why his EPA and QBR were very good from this game. Okay. Despite the two interceptions. Those are bad also. I mean, the ball that he threw downfield was not a good ball that basically ended the game. It was underthrown. I, I think a lot of the time that kind of Paul just... Jamal, it hits Jamal Adams in the face mask, and then we move on to the next play, and you don't think about it. It's different, though. No, that ball was, there's a difference between those two throws. A lot ball gets picked off more than a, like, we'll see what, what we call a Ben Roethlisberger hard throw, but like. I actually think the opposite. No, it's the, the more likely interceptions are when the defender is coming towards the football than when the defender is running with the receiver. There was probably there was probably I, a little bit of. I mean, I'd be I don't I don't know how to chart that, but involved with it. But the reality is, it's not even necessarily about Dylan Morris. It's more about this team is two and four, and 
where do you go from here, right? Like, who is the quarterback long-term? How many years are you going to go with Dylan Morris as a starting quarterback? Well, I mean, part of the calculation, I think, is whether you want to burn Sam Hewitt's red shirt on this going nowhere season. It doesn't fucking matter. Like, that red shirt season does not matter. Mm, it mattered for Marcus Tuiasasopo. This is not the year 2000. I hate to break it to you. College football is very different than it was then. And the reality is, if Sam Hewitt doesn't play this year, Either he is going to be named the starter very early on next year, or he's going to transfer. Like, how many years do you think Sam Heward is going to sit and be the backup? We know how college football looks, and if he doesn't play, if he's not the starter, if you think you're going to go into next year's season with Dylan Morris as a starter, you're not going to have Sam Heward on the roster. He's going to be quarterback for goddamn Fresno State. Oh, Sam Heward is not transferring to Fresno State. That's for, for Or better, maybe certain. he'll be the quarterback for UCLA of all places, because well, they have a hell of a lot better quarterback than Utah has. I don't, I don't understand what, what he's that graduating. Means. He's leaving. Yeah, they have they have Ethan Garver though. So. Oh, behind him. Yeah. God damn. They already have a unit of not a wide receiver yet. I mean, I think Sam Heward. The calculation is a little different for Sam Heward, whose father and uncle played here, whose father works for the Utah Athletic Department. Yeah, the calculation for should other be different in as much as that you should play him. He is the highest recruited quarterback in the history of the program. Yes, but recruiting is not that important. Okay, this Dylan Morris game is that important? Like, what is important to you then? I told is you last losing week, uh, to I a they should consider a coach a, a quarterback change because Dylan Morris, the expectations are no longer better than reasonable expectations for Sam Heward. But that's contingent on the coaching staff sees these quarterbacks in practice in a way that none of us do. Not even the media does at this point of year. So they but have why? more information. If you're going to score 17 points against UCLA, what are you gaining here? Let fucking Sam Heward fail. I just I don't understand the benefit of that. I think there's this assumption by people that playing automatically equals development, and the evidence does not actually exist to back that up. I'm not and I believe that about NFL rookie sure quarterbacks that's as well. The case. It's more about giving it a shot, and. You know, I think we've seen, again, we talked about this with Jake Hayner. Somebody else's success doesn't mean the success oh, for you, Dub. Well, we're going to get to the Jake Hayner update. Did he play bad? We're going to get to the Jake Hayner update. But you saw at Oklahoma, they had a Heisman candidate quarterback that they benched for a freshman quarterback. And you have to be willing to take swings. And Jimmy Lake is so clearly not willing to take any swings at all in any capacity that it is very difficult to understand how he is going to be a success, successful coach of this. I don't know that I buy that argument. Unwilling to take swings because of the fact that one quarterback decision That's, that we know nothing about is... the most important decision of his entire career. I think that's very unlikely. As a head coach, his career as a head coach may not last that long. I think his career as head coach will last a very long time, whether it's a UW or somewhere else. And that there will yeah, be a San lot of San Jose State's going to need a coach in two years. Like, I, I, at, at this point, there I mean, is the, nothing to suggest that Jimmy Lake is the answer at head coach for UW. And if he, he, is, he is approaching the situation as if he has a very high degree of job security. You're, and, you're interpreting it as he's approaching the situation that way. Well, he said he's nowhere near a quarterback change. 
Yeah, I mean, he's, again, he sees Sam Heward in practice every week. You've never seen Sam Heward play football in your entire fucking life. I actually have. He played in a game earlier this year. Okay, you've never seen him play during I a saw meaningful that. I situation. I was there grinding tape of Kennedy High School. Thank you. God, how bad has Savel Smalls been, by the way? Not even said his name. Uh, Zion Tupuola Fatua returned on Saturday. That was exciting. He definitely gave a lift I'm to sorry, the Husky pass rush. I'm sorry, but at what point during his tenure has Jimmy Lakes seeing things in practice led you to believe that he knows things better than I do? Because I've seen Richard Newton's tenure, and I saw Sean McGrew not get a carry. I've also seen Sean McGrew get 18 carries for 38 yards, which is the worst stat line for a running back in Pac-12 history. What do you mean? No running back in Pac-12 history, in a stat that I just made up, has what? ever averaged you just make that. Up stats on this how podcast? is it possible? I've seen college running back stats. It's, Nobody averages two point one yards well, per maybe. carry. It's not about the running back, and it's about the offensive line and the play calls. Why is it better for Kamari Pleasant then? Because he or, got to run the plays with at snap motion. Well, then that's Jimmy Lake's fault. Like, all of this funnels back to, you're like, okay, best case scenario. They realized in the second half against UCLA six games into the year that, okay, we should run at stat motion. They could have done at stat motion. You would not believe this against Montana. You could do it in any game. You can run at snap motion in, against Montana, against Michigan, against Arkansas State, against any Pac-12 team. There's not, there's no rule that you can't do it. But if we they, don't worry about the past because we can't compete there, we can compete in the future. And the way to compete in the future is by having Sam Heward as your starting quarterback. Because we're not just That's, competing in the future. You have we're, no evidence for this. All your evidence is based on his recruiting rating for. It's tautological. Well, his recruiting rankings better than Dylan Morris's. And I can tell you that he didn't go. Well, he didn't throw for 184 yards and two interceptions and a game-ending interception. Like, you can't just, oh, if we ignore the game-ending interception, it was not that bad of a game. We look at process here on this podcast and not just fucking results. The process was he overthrew the pass and it was intercepted. Well, underthrew the pass. If he had overthrown the pass, it would have been fine, as it turns out. <sighs> So let's talk about Arizona. I wish DTR because was a fucking a lot of people who are like, oh my god, this is such a terrible college football team. Let me tell you, you're going to see a terrible college football team on Saturday, Friday, and if the Huskies lose, it might be them. But otherwise, it's going to be the Arizona Wildcats who have lost 18 consecutive games, and you'll never believe this. They changed coaches, and it didn't fix things miraculously. They've still gone 0 6 after hiring former Seahawks offensive coordinator Did they go to the Rose Bowl two years ago? Did they go to the college football playoff four years ago? We're not talking about the same things here. The Arizona Wildcats and UW. Arizona's had some pretty good recruiting classes in there. I don't think that... Did they go to... They went, Does he, you want part of why the Huskies went to the Rose Bowl? Because they had fucking Jimmy Lake coaching their defense. No, because they elite had Chris defenses. Peterson coaching their team. This defense sucks! Are you kidding me? They could not stop UCLA. What about this defense that Jimmy Lake well, has I don't put know. The fact that it's number 30 in the country in FBI makes me think that it's not oh, terrible. number 30 in the country? Thank fucking God for that. They could you know not stop the last than, drive against the game. What you know was worse than 30? 75% of the teams in the country. Well, if you combine a number 30 defense and a trash offense, that leads to a really bad team. Number 30? This is your head coach? Zach Charbonnet managed to get to 6.2 yards per carry, and Sean McGrew, your boy over here, was at a third of that. I don't understand what this means. Your boy? 
They could not stop UCLA at all. They're not very good at stopping the run, but stopping the run is overrated. You know who else didn't score very many points in that game? UCLA. They scored enough points. They probably should have scored more points looking at these stats also. Like how no, much... they shouldn't have because when you run the ball, in, when you rely on running the ball, one bad play gets you off they schedule. It's exactly the problem with the Seahawks philosophy. Yards. The Seahawks do not outgain teams by 150 yards. What do you think their yards per play were? Again, you're talking about they, they ran what? a lot yeah, more plays. Their yards per pass were higher. Their yards per per run were like twice as high. What about this was positive to you? I just this is not. Yeah, they're higher because of the fact that UW offense is not good. The UCLA was very unlucky on third down. That's it. No, they weren't unlucky. They were incapable of converting a third down because no one can pass against UW. Now, unfortunately, UW is not good enough at run defense often to force teams to pass on third down. But when they are, they immediately get off the field. This right here, you look at these stats. 3 of 12 on third down for UCLA, 9 of 14 for UW. UW was fucking lucky to be in this game. That is luck. You cannot tell me that's not luck. 3 of 12 and 9 of 14 is luck. There's a lot of different dimensions of luck. Catching two interceptions oh is a dimension God. of luck. It is strange that this defense is so incapable of generating turnovers, despite being so that. good. It is about turnovers are are a they're a cherry on top. It's a process thing. If you are you got no, they're luck, not a cherry they on got top. Luck they're in a, this process, game a result of good down, process. I would take I would take third down luck over turnover luck in a game. If you get a team like UCLA to be three of twelve on third down, you pray to the fucking Lord that you got there right. But the reality is, UW was very lucky in third down. UCLA UW has sustainably been good at preventing third downs over the course of the last five years. It's a bad five team. Years. Just admit it. They admit that they're a bad team. They don't even Again, have a good defense. you're going to see a fucking bad team on Friday. Just Arizona, who has lost 18 worse, consecutive games. Those are not the games. standards that I have for Arizona UW. and UW were at like the exact same point when Chris Peterson got here. You realize that, and right? And then the Chris Peterson tenure happened. So Chris Peterson is one of the greatest coaches in college football history. And if you're standard is he's got your coach has to be as good as chris peterson you're gonna be really fucking upset all the time and why is people learn nothing from firing lorenzo romar and ending up with a worse coach in mike hopkins there's been so many women's basketball coaching changes like co- changing coaches is not the panacea that people I mean, want it to be for the record i don't think you'd have tried to change coaches. chris peterson they did have the they like they didn't no i didn't say they tried to coach change coaches there but there were a lot of people who did not want continuity with the Chris Peterson okay. tree on offense and I, didn't want Kellen Moore because of it. Okay. For the record, I knew this would come back to Lorenzo Romar. People, and he was wrongfully fired. <laughs> it always comes back to Lorenzo Romar. <laughs> and These are the same fans. That record, and they have bring learned, back Coach Sark. These are the same fans and they have learned nothing from this experience. They just go through their lives never, never reevaluating their philosophy whatsoever. I agree. Bush Hamden for head coach. I mean, the, the reality is Chris Peterson is one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. He led UW. He, he said us, it's the same as Don James. I mean, here's the thing is, like, look at the all the periods. Saying, well, the thing is. <laughs> since Rick New, between Rick Neuheisel getting fired and now, where is this other than one year under Sark? They never won more than seven games under five different coaches. No, aside from Chris Peterson. Yeah. We're taking... So at some point, I think you got to reevaluate what the standards are for this program. 
but the, the standards also are for this program that you could have a coach like Chris Peterson. Most programs do not have a coach like okay, that. Okay, so who's the next Chris Peterson out there? Clearly not fucking Jimmy Lake. Okay, but who is it? Is it Mike Hopkins? <laughs> He's a basketball coach. But that's my point is people thought we're excited about Mike Hopkins. I don't know. I, it's a I lot easier to be excited about something that the box could be anything. Kellen could even be a boat. Kellen Moore is that coach, though. And Kellen Moore I don't think didn't, Kellen he, Moore is taking the head coaching he job. He didn't want the job. He didn't want the job. But there are other coaches who could have been that coach. And I don't think the figuring out at snap motion six games through the year in the second half, five and a half I'm games saying, through the year. Jimmy Lake has coached less than 12 games in his career. He's coached less than a full season. And I think it seems to people this, like a lot longer suit, because like, he's been Jim, the coach Jim for Moore such a long period of time. only got one season as the Seahawks head coach. This is not a Jim Morris situation. Are you sure it's not a Jim Morris situation? No, but I know the, that I'm the, not out on I, I'm Jimmy Lake. Throwing like I'm out the Lindo Mari under the bus is not that different than being so far away from... No, that's not even close to accurate. The point is that Jim Elmore has showed no leadership skills. Jimmy Lake has showed incredible leadership. He's gotten the team to incredible va- good vaccination rates. I mean, he's handled everything right from that standpoint. He's just he's a very good secondary coach. <laughs> That's so disrespectful. He managed to coordinate an entire defense. At the very least, you Pete have to Kukowski. say he's a very Pete good Kukowski defensive coordinator. Was still there also. I mean, he was, Jimmy Lake was the one calling the plays. And you know who delegated I, that? Pete Kwiatkowski was the one who delegated that to him because he recognized how good Jimmy Lake no, was th- and how important it was for the Huskies to keep Jimmy Lake. I think Jimmy Lake is a good defensive coach. I'm not sure if Jimmy Lake is a good head coach. There's nothing, I'm not there's sure about no it either. so far to suggest that he's a good head coach. The fact that he's a good defensive coordinator is itself evidence of his ability as a head coach. Well, I personally don't. Don't know if I believe that any good defensive coordinator is a oh, good Oh, Brandon coach. Staley? Oh, Brandon Staley's fucking defense got torched by the Ravens. Brandon Staley understands football in a greater sense, though. Like, really, Brandon Staley is a unicorn as far as coaches go. And we always come back to this. The reality is there are only, like, five good head coaches in all of sports. And you're confident you're going to pick that one? No. I'm not. That's the problem. But... I know that if you have the wrong one, it's worth a shot to find another one. I, I mean, again, financially, it is untenable. This is not even a conversation it's worth having. It's not happening. my money. It doesn't matter whether it's financially untenable. Well, it is. Okay. Okay. How many Should years the Seahawks... do they have to take advantage of the players to be financially tenable to hire a new head coach? Should... They don't pay the players at all. They should be able to hire a coach for five years every year. Should the Seahawks sign Tom Brady as their replacement for Russell Wilson? Apparently, we're not really dealing with reality. I'm just having a conversation here. I mean, I think it would be very helpful I, if they I'm had Tom Brady right as their now, starting quarterback for the next two weeks. UW could afford it. UW cannot afford it. They can afford it. And also, they have to prioritize the figure for men's basketball. <laughs> They're going to fire their men's basketball coach. Are we getting to that? Are we talking about We're just ignoring that? Can we get to the Jake Hayner update for something playing. positive? No, Jake. <laughs> you know what? All right, fine. Let's do the Jake Hayner update now. He was... 15 of 28 for 96 yards and two touchdowns. Hey. But Fresno State beat Wyoming 17 to nothing on Saturday. That's what most importantly Jake Hayner does. He recognizes oh, the situation. You're just all about results here. The reality is Jake Hayner torched the UCLA defense, and I fell in love with Jake Hayner again. But Dylan Morris could not torch the UCLA defense. Can Dylan Morris, is a fifth-year senior, torch the UCLA defense? That's He's the never going to see the field as a fifth-year senior, or we have a real problem. 
So of 130 FCS, FBS schools, Arizona ranks 119th in FBI efficiency, 120th in offense. Who's their head coach? Jed Fish, one-time yeah. Seahawks quarterback coach under in Pete Carroll's first year. And 129th in special teams. Like the Matt Hass first year? Yes. Okay. The Beastquake first year. Yeah. Totally uh, defense at least cracks the uh, top 100. He got that W with Charlie Whitehurst in mm. that one game. Uh, Arizona's 111th in predictive FPI, second worst among Power 5 schools ahead of only Kansas. Uh, the Wildcats have started three different quarterbacks, with two of them now sidelined by season-ending injuries. WSU transfer Gunnar Cruz suffered a thumb injury last Saturday against Colorado, a week after Jordan McLeod suffered knee and ankle injuries. That leaves second-year freshman Will Plummer, who started one game earlier this season and one as a true freshman as the starter. Plummer has completed just 52% of his passes for 5.1 yards per attempt, with six interceptions in his 79 pass attempts. Uh, neither of Arizona's top two running backs is averaging more than four yards per carry. Uh, their most dangerous skill position player is Stanley Berryhill III, who has more than double the catches and receiving yards of any other Wildcats player. The Huskies are 18-point favorites on Friday night. In how, I don't know how we put this game on national TV, but uh, it, it, it for sure is going to be on ESPN2 Friday night. On a scale of 1 to Montana... How devastating of a loss would this be for you? I think they're actually maybe bigger favorites. And no, I guess it was 21 and a half against Montana. It's close. Like, we're not reaching the level of historic if Utah loses. I mean, it still just doesn't look as bad because they are a Pac-12 school. But, Does, and it's on the road. Okay, so I, I get that Jimmy Lake is nowhere near a quarterback change. If they were to lose, would you be any closer to a coach change? Yes. Okay. This is a game that they basically have to win. Yes. Percentage chances of victory. Sorry, 80. <laughs> I love that an eight, 18 point favorite. Gets an well, I mean, they're 85 in FPI. I'm just, I'm just being conservative here. God, I guess I'll, 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 I'll roll with you at that 80. I don't know. <sighs> All right, well, now. Let's talk about something less contentious, the Seattle Seahawks. I love that we fought so much during that college football segment, and Nick Rolovich's name didn't even <laughs> Oh, my God, we didn't even talk about it. <laughs> we had so much else to fight about. It's, we've gone too far in the podcast now. I'm not even going to attempt my semi-quasi-defense of Nick oh, Rolovich. We'll people want to hear it. People want to hear it. Let's hear it. Come on. So I think that there was a scenario where Nick Rolovich could have emerged not as a sympathetic figure, but at least as a figure for whom people had empathy. And number one, and Mike Sean Dugar, third Pelton brother, wrote about this on The Athletic and Wazoo alum. He never explained, you know, I guess his convictions, we have to consider them legitimate at this point because he was willing to lose his job over them. Like he wasn't just messing around here. He was willing to give up his job. He felt that strongly about this. But he never once managed to give any indication of why he feels so strongly about it, which is incredibly odd, and just refused to answer any questions about it whatsoever. You would think if you felt this strongly, you would want to get that message out to the world, right? It's perplexing to me. And the other aspect of it is, if you're going to ask for these kind of accommodations for you in your work... I think you have to be willing to show that same grace and accommodation to others. And his treatment of Cassidy Woods last year, resulting in a lawsuit that is still active against him <laughs> in Washington State University, showed exactly the opposite of that. So I, I don't know if there was any scenario where he could have continued as head coach without getting vaccinated. 
the way that the athletic department presented it in terms of him being unemployable indicated there wasn't. Although I think part of it is, look, this has just been one PR disaster after another since he started as head coach at Wazoo. I think they could not have been more thrilled to be able to fire him without cause, with cause and not have to pay him for the remainder of his contract. But uh, I, I, I do think that there are scenarios where, you know, the, it could have been handled better. By Nick Rolovich? Yes. <laughs> no shit. Uh- <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, besides just being vaccinated would obviously be the situation that would have handled it better. God, I was thinking of a scenario earlier of something that was really obvious and I was going to make a comparison to it. Oh, I wish I could remember it. Uh, but it is amazing that the school that won three in a row is the school that's fired in Washington that's fired their head coach, not the school that has started two and four with a loss to Montana. But ultimately, we're, we're a country of consequences. And I, the, like, I mean, you talk about this a lot, like in the way that we don't want to judge or try to impose our own personal morals on somebody else when it comes to, right? Like you get mad at fucking a player for choosing to play for one team versus another team, right? They're human beings. They're professional athletes with real lives or whatever, right? Yeah. And the most important piece of that is any decision can be made and it's about consequences. And Nick Rolovich made it of it made a decision and face those consequences and it might not be the same decision that any of us would make right or many of us would make but he made a decision and faced those consequences and it's over that's kind of the beyond and all of it he had a decision to make which was get vaccinated or get fired and ultimately i'm most impressed with the convictions of Washington State University, and the state of Washington for being willing to follow through on those convictions. And I don't know if it's something that other states would have necessarily done. I mean, you talk about Michael Porter Jr., right? Like the state of Colorado does not have those same convictions. Well, I mean, this is, again, this only applies to government employees. If Mike Leach were coaching, I mean, not the Seahawks, because there is an NF. Yes, Nick Roll. <laughs> Probably not vaccinated also, <laughs> well, but yes. Look, uh, if Nick Rolovich were coaching... Is he, is he still a coach of Mississippi State? He is, yes. Wow, I just have not even heard that name, Mississippi State. That's a name I haven't heard for a My while. My boy Lane Kiffin's out there fucking crushing the state of Mississippi. Vaxxed as hell, baby. If Nick Rolovich were hypothetically coaching... in If the there was XFL came back and he was coaching the Seattle team, it wouldn't have applied to them is what I'm saying. Yeah, well, maybe there, maybe there are laws that should apply, like the state of New York has, but... The the reality is... I mean, I don't think those apply to outdoor events. They're, oh, it's just because the Nets play indoors. Correct. There, there are certain rules that apply that a state makes, and you have to comply with those. And if you don't, you have to face consequences. And that's kind of the beyond end all of this, is that Nick Rolovich was unwilling to comply with these public health and safety requirements that the state has, and he's out of a job. And for whatever reason, it wasn't explained to us. Like, I don't... Nick Rolovich didn't explain why, and he's not going to go down as like uh, a sympathetic figure, like you were saying. He didn't have to. He's fired. Like that's it. There was no requirement in this process to say why you feel this way. It's either you did or you didn't, and he didn't, and that's it. And he's out of a job. And I think I don't care whether Nick Rolovich is a sympathetic figure, right? I I don't think whatever explanation he would have had about his convictions or his morals or whatever would have changed anything because I know it's fucking horseshit. So the reality is him not explaining those things is the same as him explaining those things because they're clearly 
whatever those reasons were, he held it very true, but it just doesn't matter. It's not my business whether he feels that way. It is a state law that people who have this position have to comply with, and many people did comply with, and he didn't. Therefore, he doesn't have a job. Well, it's a bummer for uh, for the Cougar football team. And, and is it? Yeah. I don't know if it's a bummer for the Cougar football team. It's nothing. Yeah, it's a bummer to have your coach fired midseason. <clears throat> yeah, that's, it, that's a bummer. It is unfortunate that he made this choice. That is as far as I'm willing But the to players go. couldn't control it, and they are they are affected by it. They are victims here. Sure. Yeah. So. <sighs> All right, let's talk about the Seahawks. We haven't talked since their 23-20 overtime loss at the Pittsburgh Steelers. A game that pushed them to two and four and their playoff odds now currently in the twenty to twenty five percent range, depending on what you look at. I know you still had you had them at ten percent like three weeks ago. Twenty to twenty five percent? You had them at ten percent with Russell Wilson healthy, I think, right? Are you kidding me? How many teams make the playoffs now? Is this the NBA? Uh I I think there were some encouraging signs defensively in this game. They have improved a tad to 22nd in defensive DVOA, and we saw three interesting things on Sunday. Hello. Trey Brown making his debut at left cornerback as a rookie, playing one series in the first half and then replacing the injured Sidney Jones after halftime. A quarter package with seven defensive backs on third down. No shit. Using just three pass rushers. I mean, it, we, you wanted the dime package. They went a step further. They were putting, like, we're putting uh, Marcus Blair and Hugo Amati both out there with Ryan Neal. And taking uh, one of their pass rushers off the field and leaving Bobby Wagner as the linebacker. And, and related to that, Jamal Adams blitzing as much as he has this season and generally spending much more time near the line of scrimmage. If, if they were going to go to that package... Jamal Adams basically becomes a front seven type player. Correct. And that's the way that Jordan Brooks is not a good player in coverage. Well, Jordan Brooks wasn't, if you went to the dime, he's already off the field. Yeah. The expectation cannot be that Jordan Brooks is covering very good wide receivers, tight ends. And that's what they were anticipating in that Rams game. And the, the anticipation was wrong. Like, Say what you will about Jordan Brooks. I say what you will about linebackers in general. I mean, they certainly seem quite effective at it with KJ Wright. We'll see. You know, and KJ Wright's ten years into his career. Like KJ Wright's a very good linebacker, but that was a season ago. We don't know what he would have been this year. We, they were a better team with Ryan Neal on the field than they were with Jordan Brooks, though. And we only really had one sample of that, which was the 49ers game, where they looked quite a bit better with Ryan Neal vis-a-vis Jordan Brooks because they looked awful with Jordan Brooks in coverage. And having more secondary players on the field is almost always the right way to approach football in the year 2021. I don't know if I'm willing to get behind that as a general rule. Uh, I would say two things after this game to temper the enthusiasm. Oh, here we go. Number one. (laughs) The enthusiasm of a loss against the Steelers. But of the defensive part, side of things, I mean, they lost the game because Russell Wilson was injured and their offense wasn't good enough without Russell Wilson. Like, that's the defense played well enough to win this game. Trey Brown, Trey Brown, for what it's worth, also looked very good. He looked very good. It was one game. Let's not get too high in Trey Brown and put unrealistic These expectations are also, on they're him. They're not bad wide receivers. We have the, done this before with Trey Flowers. Like, people got super high on him as a rookie and then 
he created expectations that were going to be hard for him to live up to. So let's just take it as it comes with Trey Brown is what I'm saying. Take it as it comes. Sure. Yeah. Number two, they were playing Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger is not a good quarterback at this stage of his career. And there were definitely some throws out there that there were open receivers and the ball did not get there. So we will see going forward, especially when Aaron Rodgers, you're playing Aaron Rodgers in four weeks, whether that still works as well. I mean, I, I, there are not a lot of defenses in the NFL that can stop Aaron Rodgers or whatever. No, like, I mean, I'm not saying that's the challenge, but I'm just saying let's not get too hyped based on the fact that they had really good third down success with these quarter package against Ben Roethlisberger. It, it does feel like from the defensive coaches staff, like there's a little bit more confidence in Trey Brown as a player. And I think that's an important thing to trust to a certain extent. The other piece that's kind of shocking is like every time a player in the secondary or at least a cornerback leaves the Seahawks, they end up released. Like it's kind of wild to see Akella Witherspoon as somebody who we felt like going into the season was going to be a starting cornerback for the team. And I think, was he released by the Steelers? He or was inactive again. In, inactive at the very least. Quentin Dunbar as somebody who PFF rated extraordinarily highly two seasons ago, right? And he's released today. Like, it is shocking the amount of... Cor- like, it's it's mind-boggling the amount of cornerbacks who've come through the Seahawks system, have moved on to other teams, and then are instantly out of the NFL. Like, it feels like they're cursed, right? Like, there's something going on with the Seahawks secondary because players are able to find jobs in the NFL if they are just experienced and capable. And we saw Trey Fowler signing with the Bengals, right? Played off waivers. What? Claimed off waivers. Or whatever. Claimed off waivers by the Bengals. We'll see in three weeks, right? Like, if Trey Flowers is an NFL player, because there's a little bit of an element to it of, like, there's something going on with the Seahawks secondary where players come in with a certain element of talent and leave out of the NFL. I know. I mean, that might just be the nature of the NFL where, look, players are... They're, their careers are much shorter than in other pro sports, and there's this constant churn. I mean, the Dunbar one in particular is surprising, but... You don't think Akella Witherspoon is surprising? It is, yeah. No, it is surprising, too. I mean, how far back do we have to go? Like, can you... Uh, we talked about this last week. Can you name the last Seahawks cornerback, aside from the one Richard Sherman season, that was not full-on exorcist by the time they reached their next team. Well, Justin Coleman, who I called Ugo Amadi on last week's pod, and noticed after the fact, he wasn't released immediately by the Lions. But he got he was, traded, right? He, he, traded. he was eventually... No, the, no, he signed with the Lions. He signed a big deal as a oh, free okay. agent. And was a major disappointment. was eventually released, but it wasn't like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's, best case that's scenario. That's a good outcome. So... Byron Byron Maxwell, like you, yeah, you you flamed out Jaguars. pretty quickly. I he, he was in Miami. I thought he went to the Jags. Philly in Miami, maybe. It it really is like well, Shaquille Griffin actually. By the way, is the answer Shaquille Griffin is playing very well for the Jaguars. Has that he? is yes, yes. If you look at the uh, the his charting statistics against him, has been playing quite well. Yeah, he did go to Byron Maxwell went to Philly. You're right, Philly Miami. Uh, well, that's good for Shaquille Griffin. Oh, There's great, one player. Great for Shaquille Griffin. I uh, mean, but Trey, Trey Brown, for what it's worth, like, 
well, most of those, a lot of those guys are leaving because the Seahawks are like, we're done with you. So it's not that surprising that if the Seahawks come to that conclusion, that another team also comes to that conclusion, I guess is what I would say. Whereas it's different with Shaquille Griffin, who they just came to the conclusion, he's not worth the money. Let's give that all that money to Jamal Adams instead. Mm. The <laughs> Love it. Love that decision. No, the, the reality is if they, pl- they played fairly well against Ben Roethlisberger, and that's, I think, the most that you can expect from this defense. Like, yeah. shutting down Matt Stafford, shutting down a really good offense, is not something that you I can expect. I was told Matthew Stafford was not a good quarterback. Repeatedly was told that on this very Hold podcast. On. Where is he at right now? Football outsiders. Like, I don't, I don't know if, I don't feel personally, I, I stood heavily behind the Cardinals this offseason, and I feel vindicated. As uh, you should. I don't know if I'm at the point of taking an L on Matt Stafford yet. No, but you just called him a better quarterback than Ben Roethlisberger. I, I'm just saying, I'm noting the incongruity of your own comments here. I'm telling you right now. Q, uh, He's number three in the EPA plus completion percentage over expected composite from our friend, third Pelton brother, Ben Baldwin. Hold on now. <laughs> DVOA. Matt Stafford is, am I missing him? Oh, ooh, number one. It's also Matthew. It's not Matt. It's Matthew. Matthew Stafford. He wants to be called Matthew. You're not like close buddies with him. You can't call him Matt. Anyway, Kai Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Jane Winston. I missed missed Matthew Stafford in DVOA because he was too high. He looked too low. Wow, (laughs) outstanding. Crap. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what happens. So the Seahawks did get good news on the health of Daryl Taylor, who does not have a neck injury and could possibly even play this week, according to Pete Carroll, after leaving Heinz Field on a stretcher and undergoing neurological evaluation late in the fourth quarter. Obviously very scary anytime you see that. We saw the players stretchered off two nights in a row, sadly, in the national TV games. Tyler Lewan. Yeah. yeah. Taylor Lewan, yeah. Taylor Lewan. Uh, so but also huge about Daryl Taylor. It yeah. was something where you're there and in the moment, it was a really scary moment on the field, and I think uh, again, a recentering moment when you're thinking about this is we care so much about the outcome of these football games, and you have to sort of always bring it back to this is all complete horseshit. Like it doesn't matter, right? Daryl Taylor's health is more important than every single Seahawks win or loss for the last ten years. Right, you wouldn't trade one player, one human being being paralyzed for any amount of Super Bowls. For sure. And so it, it sort of is like you're heading into the end of that game and it's stressful or whatever, and you want the Seahawks to win because you want everybody to feel good, right? Like you want to feel good about yourself. But somebody's health is so much more important than that. That it is as a human being, I think it is a real it was a really recentering moment. To be like, you can get caught up in all of this like bullshit that surrounds football, but these are still human beings, and seeing other human beings be affected by it, like seeing other CX players, and worrying about their friend being injured is like, that is so much more important than winning or losing, and I think it, it really it puts some perspective on what we're talking about here. For sure. <clears throat> All right, so let's look ahead to Monday. A huge leverage game on Monday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints team. About Geno? 
Any I, thoughts? Gino, Alex Collins, Pete Carroll, like rallying around the run in the second half. We're going straight to Jameis. All right, well, let's get into it then. I mean, Gino, I think he did what you would expect from a backup quarterback in this game. He didn't play that bad of a game. I mean, no. aside from the fumble at the end of the game, like, he, Gino Smith ultimately lost the Seahawks the game. But, like, for the most part, he could have been much worse. Yeah. I mean, and not just from a backup quarterback, from a quality backup quarterback, someone that you feel good about having as a backup quarterback, I think was his performance in this game. You know, it was one dreadful play, certainly, with the fumble that set up the Steelers. Which, by the way, did you have the feeling like them just playing for the 37-yard field goal, like, they're, like, that they might regret that, that that might backfire? The Steelers? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't. I also had the feeling, like, we're going to go through all of this review process. Oh, I thought it was going to be a tie. I full-on was like, this game is going to be tied. But we're going to go through all this review process for the kick that Jason Myers made at oh, the end of regulation. Yes. No, 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 I was time. convinced that he was oh. going to miss that kick. <laughs> it was very Like, nice. you're not a football fan if you don't think he's going to miss that kick. So, I mean, the first half of this game, like, I, whatever expectations I had about the Seahawks in this period without Russell Wilson were... Just any that was that were left were completely gone at halftime when they were trailing fourteen nothing had gotten nothing going offensively. It was brutal. Like, but it really felt like they just they hadn't let Gino cook at that point, and they didn't for the entire game. And I, I mean, think that was yeah. I think that was there was maybe a little too much Gino cooking in the second quarter. Frankly, you think there was too much Gino cooking? Just like, are you going to run the good offense? Or are you not going to run the good offense? Just because you have Geno Smith doesn't mean you can't run good offense. And that is to me, like, that's the worst part about watching football is that coaches think because of, because you haven't established the run, you can't run play action. Or because you don't have a good enough quarterback, you can't run good plays. And you should run good plays no matter who your quarterback is, right? Like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be hampered because Geno Smith is your quarterback and you can't run good plays, you have to trust in Geno Smith because he's your quarterback. And I get that for a few drives in the third quarter, things went much better when they were leaning on Alex Collins. And when that was the case, that if, if again, I am not comparing Shane Waldron to Brian Dable because Shane Waldron has no credits that would compare him to somebody who has... You're a little bit more skeptical. that You were willing to accept it for John Donovan, but not for... He's Shane Waldron is a blank slate at this point. Again, to my my Jimmy Lake point, Shane Waldron has been an offensive coordinator for six games in his this career, is, one is, of which was started by his backup quarterback and one of which was finished by his backup quarterback. This is not a complaint about Shane Waldron. I'm just saying I'm not comparing him to Brian Dable because Brian Dable is an extraordinary offensive coordinator. But there was a point that they got to, and again, I think we know who was calling these plays. This time period, it was not Shane Waldron. Uh, I don't think he's calling the plays. He's not but calling I think the plays, but the but the general the general tone. He's setting the tone. Yeah, of the offense <laughs> as we got to the fourth quarter, there was a moment that the Seahawks needed to give up on the run and needed to run play action and would have fucking shredded the Steelers with play action and kept running the goddamn ball with Alex Collins, and. I, I don't think that's the complaint to me. To me, the complaint is that they kept running the ball in overtime after Alex Collins was out of the game. And, you know, Travis Homer had some good moments in, really good moments in this game. He only had two carries in the game. Like, you can't really. 
Well, one of those was the opening play of overtime, a one-yard run. My point was that Travis Homer was really effective on a draw and a pass out of the backfield, just setting up Travis Homer to like run, you know, on first and ten between the tackles. I don't think is a particularly effective use of Travis Homer. And then they, they did the they same thing with DJ Dallas play later. Play action zone. Right, if you're playing Madden and you have this like play action setup time period, Alex Collins got them there. He got them to you run play action, and then they just they never did it. They did it at times. They didn't. They never capitalized on what they'd established. If you're if you're Pete Carroll and you have old man seventy year old Pete Carroll brain and you need to run to establish play action, they got there. They established it. They did it. The Steelers adjusted to them and. What you do, the way that football works is you do something, the defense adjusts to it, you hit them with the adjustment back, and they didn't do that. They never got to that second piece. But it's not, I, I, I don't, suppose. I don't think it's personally on Shane Waldron. I think Pete Carroll was like, this is working, we're going to beat this in the ground. He's not that good of a coach. Like, the reality is, the head coach of the Seahawks has one perspective for how a thing should run, and he's not a very good coach. And he... I guess I'm not just not not clear where this criticism is. I mean, the the one drive where they didn't score in the second half was Alex Collins runs for 16, but there's a hold, and then they're in first and 20. They do get back 10 on DJ Dallas on second down. The the but, after the turnover, like, are you kidding me? Or is that they hit a that, field goal? That is the play after the the turnover. That, that is the drive after the turnover. And they just got a holding penalty on first down and it set them back. So I, I It crushed know. them. But I mean, we're also talking about your head coach punted the ball in Steelers territory more than once during this game. Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't... There, There's nothing in defense... There's nothing defensible about this game for Pete Carroll. It was a fourth and five at the 38. It was... It's indefensible. There is nothing in this game that happened that is defensible for Pete Carroll being the head coach of this team. Uh, I mean, I think that the... the And they did punt inside Pittsburgh territory after that fumble, but, I mean, it was 4th and 14. And there's only so much you're able to do there. I don't know that I think that's actually that a good decision. It's unfortunate that they were able unable to pin them that they got touchbacks on, I think, both of them. Well, how many yards did they gain on that punt, though? 20 yards? But I'm saying, if they had pinned them, it would have been a different situation. I And again, in 4th and 14, I don't know what the, the bot said on that one, but I think that's still a punt situation. And it's not a 56-yard field goal, field goal attempt at Heinz Field, for sure. But the, the first punt at the 38 on 4th and 5 was indefensible. I, 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 agree I, with don't, that. I don't think that... But also just the general, the spirit of the team down 14 nothing on the road without Russell Wilson. I do think there is an element of that that is attributable to Pete Carroll. That he was able to rally the team around and lose this game? Like, what it, What about that is attributed to Pete Carroll? But they were very oh, much in this game. he lost it close. Game. He lost it close. Like, what? They, were, they very easily could have won this game. I don't... I don't understand the argument. Pete Carroll didn't make the Steelers' run defense bad. Pete Carroll didn't make Ben Roethlisberger a shitty quarterback. Like, I, I'm sorry, but... Looks like the recommendation <clears throat> there was field goal attempt, but again, that doesn't know that... You're attributing things that are that happened... But Ben for... Roethlisberger was still a shitty quarterback in the first half, too, and they were down 14 nothing. <clears throat> so, 
Well, Pete Carroll's actually responsible for the whole thing. And Pete Carroll... Again, we can't compete in the past. We don't worry about the past because we can't compete there. So what they did was after they got down 14 nothing, they continued They playing. rallied and they lost the game. I, but they very easily could have won the game. Pete Carroll is not... Pete Carroll... Some of Pete Carroll's decisions could have helped them win the game, but they very easily could have won the game despite Pete Carroll's decisions. And then you would be talking about it differently, just as we were eight years ago. Okay. How did they get? Oh, that, that DJ Dallas loss for four yards in overtime. Ugh. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. They, they did, there was nothing about this game plan, and whether it's Pete Carroll or Shane Waldron, that DJ Dallas carry that we're talking about, that basically ended the game, right? Like, that's the play that we can, we, if you want to pinpoint one play. <clears throat> I mean, it didn't end the game. They still got the ball back in a tie game. So, no, I, I don't agree that it ended the game. Well, and then there was the fumble. But, like, that play was a very, that, that play set them up to punt at, in that first drive of overtime. Yeah. How many how many series do you think they ran on first down? I don't know. Three plays, five yards to end the game. Alex was that 17-7. Alex Collins left tackle. Uh wait, 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 this. Alex Collins left tackle pushed out of bounds. So we're at two in a row. We're at three in a row. Alex Collins right tackle. We're at three in a row. Touchdown. Four in a row. I guess I missed five in a row. That's the end of the half. Uh, oh, there's there's before the half, 14 nothing. At 104, the Seahawks did pass the ball. Oh, and with the previous... Well, they passed t- the ball like, every time in the second quarter because they did, they did not call a run play in the second quarter. Well, I guess they didn't run call a single run play in the second quarter? The only run play was Geno Smith kneeling out the half. Oh, God. Pete Carroll almost had a fucking conniption. In that second quarter. I mean, you saw the results. They came out on this first drive of the third quarter and passed the ball one time on that entire drive. It's just, it doesn't, it does not matter. It's Brian Schottenheimer. It's I mean, Shane I, Waldron. No, I, it's, I don't think it doesn't matter because if it didn't matter, then Pete Carroll wouldn't keep firing offensive coordinators and hiring new ones. Yeah, actually, it, it, he would. Because he's looking for something that doesn't exist. He's looking for the perfect... He's I think you can have better or worse execution within the constraints... Brian Schottenheimer was a better offense. offensive coordinator than Shane Waldron is so far. I do not agree with that assessment. Six games through the year, what was the Seahawks record last year? Where did oh, I'm sorry. How many times did Russell Wilson get injured last season? Okay, let's take it back five games then. Where did the Seahawks offense rank last year versus this year? I mean, it was number one, but they also... Oh, it was the number one offense. But no, no, Shane Waldron is better. They've been the number one offense on first and second down this year and have just been unsustainably poor on third down relative to their first and second. With Russell Wilson, they were the best offense on first and second down. The other thing is teams did, to some extent, figure out this offense just as they have figured out... How did they figure it out 10 years in? There's no. I don't know why out. people just oh, decided people, to play. People figured out the Chiefs' offense, and then they scored 24 straight points or whatever. Like, I, but the, there's the no offense figuring is, out good offense. I'm sorry, good offense is better than good defense a thousand times out of a thousand. The Chiefs' offense is not as has been more containable this year than it has been. Wrong. 
And so Shane Waldron is dealing with a post version of that. So I, I do think that I do think there has been some evolution defensively to combat the league's best pass the offense. Number two best offense of the year, the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, but where were they last year? I don't, maybe number one. Yeah. But like So number two is worse than number one. It's a few games in and it has to do with I'm guessing they were probably worse. Let's look at twenty twenty. God. You're just, oh, you're so dumb. Oh, it's frustrating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Chiefs, in fact, were the number two offense last year after the Green Bay Packers. And they, they've, they've been contained so far this year by two deep safeties, and they're all the way down to the number two offense. In 2019, when they won the Super Bowl, they were the number three offense. Like, there's no, there's no figuring out good offense. That's it is, it is factually incorrect. Pete Carroll is selling you fucking lies. This is fake news. It has nothing to do with Pete Carroll. This has to, maybe the Seattle Times is doing it. It has but to like, do with Brandon Staley, who has not been that effective defensively this season. Well, yeah, give me your Brandon Staley. Where do you think the Chargers defense ranks? They haven't been the number one offense since 2018. It's a trash team. Number one, number one, number three, number two, and now number two. There's no figuring out good offense. I mean, Ben fucking said it. He was like, this team is bad not because of scheme, not because of anything. They have bad players. I, I guess. I don't I don't know that I, I don't completely agree with that assessment, but I do think that the Seahawks defensive talent is not as good as we thought at the beginning of the year, as we hoped at the beginning of the year. Your Brandon Staley is the 19th best defense in the NFL. But do you know what Brandon Staley understands? Is that Going defense, for fourth downs? Go for it on fourth downs. That's it. That is it. You could be a defensive head coach. You could take maybe a defense that otherwise would be the 23rd best defense and raise them to 19th, but... He's going for fourth downs. Brandon Staley might be a defensive coach, but he is more important as an offensive coach. Well, he's more important as a decision maker. I don't or decision not an maker. Offensive coach. So we can talk about. Can we talk about this game against the Saints? Okay, because fine. it's pretty close to a must win for the Seahawks at this point, especially given that the Saints are likely going to be in the mix for the wild card in the NFC with the Seahawks if they get back into it. Uh, Saints come in number eight in DVOA, mm-hmm. 17th in offense, third in defense, 11th special teams. And a big chunk of that is from their 38-3 demolition of the Packers in that week one game they played in Jacksonville, uh, relocated following Hurricane Ida. Since then, the Saints basically neutral in point differential against a relatively weak set of four opponents. Saints have actually improved in past DVOA this year with Jameis replacing the retired Drew Brees, but down from number one in rush DVOA to 17th with Alvin Kamara averaging just 3.9 yards per carry after five last season. Uh, Jameis ranks eighth among quarterbacks in EPA per play, but has the worst completion percentage over expected of anyone in the top 18, sort of sort of to be expected. His intended air yards per pass are down pretty substantially from the Tampa Bay days, according to pro football reference tracking, but his infer- interception rate is also down, but still not good, leaving him with the second best QBR of his career. And I do think, like, Sean Payton deserves a lot of credit for... Drew Brees and Jameis Winston, if you're talking about quarterback skill sets, are on pretty opposite ends of the spectrum. Drew Brees, especially late career Drew Brees, where he was not throwing the ball more than five yards. He was kind of Ben Roethlisberger it with more efficiency to Jameis Winston and still having a good offense. Oh, Sean Payton, he knows what's up. Again, I'm not comparing. Shane Waldron. <laughs> John, John Donovan. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Sean Payton. <laughs> okay, good to know. I, I just have to give a take on the on the Chargers. The difference, Brendan Staley has, I think he took the defense from the number 20th defense last year to the number 19th in 2021, and the offense from 15th to 11th, which you could completely attribute to Herbert, Herbert, Herbert's yeah. progression. Brandon Stanley is winning press conferences. Oh. And they're winning games. Undefeated in press conferences. They're winning games so far. But, like, most of everything that exists in football is actually complete bullshit. And he's winning press conferences in a way that fucking people love to hear everything he says. So anything he says is going to be attributed to Brandon Staley when actually these things should be attributed to progression of Justin Herbert. And maybe Brandon Staley doesn't actually fucking matter at all because he left he left the Rams. And what is their record this year? Well, the Rams defense has definitely regressed. I don't. They would regress no matter what, though. Obviously, they were due for some regression. Also, their defense is fourth this year. And what do you think their defense was last year? Wait, How much do you think a defensive coordinator matters? I, they went all the way from fourth last year to fourth this year. Fuck Brandon Staley. Get the fuck out of here, Brandon Staley. You're a fucking pile of trash. You win press conferences in the same way that the Seahawks are trying to win press conferences. Wait, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) I lost it. I lost it. But I I pulled the microphone out of the stand, got angry about Brandon Staley. But the reality is... If anyone has made it this far, I don't know. None of this shit matters. Players matter. Coaches don't matter. Shane Waldron doesn't matter. Shane Waldron is no better than Brian Schottenheimer. The only thing that matters is the decision to go for it in fourth downs, the decision to run versus pass. Coaches don't matter. Brandon Staley has not affected the Rams' defense. They have good players, so their they defense were, is good. They have bad players, so their defense is bad. The Rams' defense was like 19th in DVOA entering the Seahawks game. They jumped up a whole lot last weekend. That's, that's fucking untrue. 19th. I, do you want me to open the notes? You think they went up that much? I I mean, again, I did the notes. I, I'm pretty confident I know where they were. And they did they went, a, they went up this last week from 14th to 4th. They went up actually a shocking amount. Yeah, who did they play that's them? what I'm saying. Who did the Rams play this week? It was a very impressive defensive performance, and I cannot remember. The, for the Giants? Who was against? They shut down Dimes? Well, Dimes did not get shut down by these New Orleans Saints, as we'll talk about it in a second here. Uh, they were 20th in off defense coming into the Seahawks game. Wow. Okay. Well, they shut down the Seahawks, and they shut down, they shut down Geno Smith. Actually, they didn't shut down Geno Smith. No, they didn't. They, and then they Danny shut Dimes. down Russell Wilson. But the uh, reality is the Rams were going to get there no matter what. Elvin Kamara leads the team with 22 targets, has been down as a receiver, too, averaging just 5.5 yards per target after 7.1 last season. Receiving help is on the way. Coming off their early bye last week, the Saints have designated linebacker Quan Alexander, defensive end Marcus Davenport, kicker Will Lutz, and wide receiver Traquan Smith to return from IR, opening up a three-week window to activate them. And wide receiver Michael Thomas could also return after spending the first six weeks on the pup uh, list. Wait till he sees Trey Brown. The Saints have actually gotten pretty good play from their top two receivers, Marquez Callaway and Deontay Harris, both of whom have 50-plus yard receptions among their 25 combined catches and are averaging double-digit yards per target. But nobody else with more than five targets is averaging even seven yards per target, which is, you know, like eight, I think, is my general standard for pretty good. So adding back Thomas and Smith would add important depth. Uh, despite injuries there, the Saints defense has remained elite. They're top 10 against both the pass and the run by DVOA, but have been a little more vulnerable against the pass, including giving up 402 yards to the Giants in the overtime loss. Uh, 
to them. Number 30 in sack rate this season, two spots behind the Seahawks. Uh, opponents completing just 60.5% of their passes, which is the league's fourth lowest mark. And with Lutz on IR, kicking has been an issue for the Saints. Aldrich Rosas hit just one of four field goal attempts before being replaced by Cody Parkey, who missed two of his five extra point attempts in their win over Washington football team, <laughs> did not attempt a field goal. They are 31st overall in net points on place kicks per football outsiders, but above average in every other area of special teams. If coaching is just about marketing for the most part, it's most about <clears throat> taking good talent, and that's it. Being a coach who oversees good talent. Why does it always seem to be that white coaches seem to be promoted the most? Or they just have the most jobs? Yeah, I mean, I think the most, you get the best opportunities, and you have the most opportunities. So therefore The reality is out. Mike McCarthy is getting to coach the Cowboys, right? That's correct. And Chris Richard would be just as good at coaching the Cowboys, but Mike McCarthy's the head coach. <clears throat> uh, well, props to Brandon Staley for <clears throat> improving the Chargers' defense. From Again, Brandon Staley has been the head coach for six games in his life. Maybe that's what I'd we wait judge, for a longer That's sample. what we judge coaches on, though. He's at the point of, like, he's perceived as good coach. That's it. He believes in the right things. You would assume that would eventually translate into success. Well, you might assume wrong. Uh, <clears throat> I'd rather my coach believe in the right things than the wrong things. <laughs> I, sure. I don't know. Like, so if coaching doesn't matter, why did, why is Jimmy Lake such a problem? I don't know. He might have just have bad players. He, I told you he was playing the wrong players. Like, I told you he was pretty straight up. I think you should be playing Sam Heward. Sam Heward and maybe Kamari Pleasant. I hope that Kamari Pleasant gets a lion's share of the carries in the first half on on Friday. And then in the second half, one? <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Maybe they'll figure out motion at the snap in the second He got half. a lot of carries in the second half. Then they'll play Sean McGrew and he'll play well. He got a lot of carries in the second half on last week, so I'm hoping that translates from the start of next week's game. They'll point. probably just ram Richard Newton in the line. Uh, they haven't done that in a long time. Uh, anyway... By the way, people love ramming Richard Newton into the line. Who's people? Husky fans. I don't care what Husky fans care about. You're like, oh, the 80-year-olds really love this. I, it's just part of my general take that football fans are way obsessed, are obsessed with dominating people physically in terms of they want strong running <clears> backs. Brandon Staley press conference. And they want strong-armed quarterbacks and not with making good decisions. Yeah, there's toxic masculinity that comes with football. Are you kidding me? Like it is Well, I think it's worth discussing <clears> that. It's it's a really I love Because I think people I just kind of take it for granted except for all of the culture that exists around football. Football is it is such a majestic sport. Right? Like the sport like you, also the physical effects of football I don't love about football but there don't need to be the, I mean there's going it's going to be a part of it no matter what but like the reason we love football is not a three yard run right the reason we care about football is because of how like quarterbacks like escaping from a sack or whatever and throwing a ball downfield making a miraculous catch the the three yard carry to DJ Dallas is not the reason we care about football right I think a a running back eluding defenders can be a part. I mean, Derrick Henry running for like that 74-yard touchdown. It was pretty fun to watch, there, I'll admit. And there, there's an element of football that's really fun, but it's not like... 
like Derrick Henry just like smashing through ten people. Like I suppose that would be fun, right? There is like a physicality. Beast that, mode. Beast there's quake. a physicality that is that is fun to pay attention to, but like. You know, the scheme part of it. Like, you saw that play, that two-point conversion that the Bills had. But I, I thought coaching didn't matter. It's a, it's what, look, is this not a Brian Dable podcast? <laughs> I don't know what this became a Brian Dable. It's a Brian Dable and Jake Hayner podcast. Uh, Jake Hayner could have executed that play perfectly. But, like, <laughs> that play is shit that when you're out there in the backyard playing football, that's what you're playing, right? Like, oh, I mean, I think that about, like, the... Who scored the touchdown for the Steelers on like a tight end, you know, kind of sweep or something like that? Today? This like last that? week? Definitely it happened in the Bills game. It was called back, but Dawson Knox had a play like that. Fryermuth? <laughs> it was not Fryermuth. <laughs> Cole Komet? <clears throat> I don't know but what no, that, is, that is the fun part of football, right? Like what the Bills did is why we care about football. Yeah, Eric Rebron scored the touchdown on a one-yard run officially. <laughs> that's that's the fun part of football like smash mouth football it kind of sucks right like even as a viewer it's kind of horrible to watch you know but like what happened in that two-point conversion for the bills that's what football is about seeing derrick henry go down the field like that's why we care you know and there's an inventiveness to it and if you're not gonna exact that inventiveness then that's cool that's great but also, that's the part of football that sucks is the reality of this. It's an old boys club. It's largely white. It's largely aged. And it's largely nepotistic. Nepotistic. Like, I think it's nepotistic. Nepotistic. Like, it's, not a, it's not a word I've heard before. But like, it's largely nepotistic. And that's the unfortunate part of the sport in general. You know? Do you disagree with this? No. And if people were willing to like really push those boundaries, I think we'd see some really amazing things from the sport of football. And that's why I have to say the Seahawks have a 38% chance of victory. <laughs> well, that was, that was an all-timer. Uh, I, I, I'm about 40%, so we're in the same ballpark here. I mean, what is, like... Let's see if they draw some plays up in the dirt and just go out and execute them with Geno Smith quarterback. They won't. Spoiler, I, spoiler. They're I will fucking, say... Run the ball up the middle. And I actually really liked watching out. I love Alex Collins. He's like, like, yeah, to my point, Alex Collins, he seems to dance between the raindrops. If, But we'll see how much Alex Collins plays on Monday. He left the game late. For as we, That's why it was Travis Homer and DJ Dallas getting those carries in overtime. And Rashad Penny back in the mix for Monday Night Football. So I think I think you're right. This is a must-win game, though. And with the Jags coming up the week after, I mean, they we have talked to win about, these next two. We talked about going two and one, the difference between going two and one and one and two in this stretch where you know you'll be without Russell Wilson with him on IR. We can't necessarily kill him and have him back for the Green Bay game, but that is the hope. And obviously, since you lost the Steelers game, if you want to go two and one now, you have to beat New Orleans. Well, and I mean, even let, let's, let's be honest here. Even if they end up 500 after the stretch, we say it coming back for the Green Bay game, that's not an easy game. No, no, no. It's still almost certainly an L anyway. I mean, the stretch is Green Bay, Arizona, Washington, which looks a little bit easier than it might have, 49ers, Texans. Like, there's a three game stretch in there that actually looks kind of okay. You know what? I actually just look at the schedule for the rest of the year. 
if they can end up two and two, Packers, Cardinals, tough games, Washington, Niners, Texans, Rams, Bears, Lions cards. I mean, the point is, like, you got to go 10 and 7 to make the playoffs realistically. Even with seven teams, I don't think 9 and 8 is getting you in. So that's three losses. You could, you're allowed three losses the rest of the season at this point. Those three losses are way after the. Ooh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Packers, Cards, Rams. And then you, you beat the. Uh... You beat the Cardinals at home? Yeah, you beat the Cardinals for one game. No, you beat the Cardinals on the road, actually, if I know anything about the history yeah. of the Seahawks and the Cardinals. But, like, are, is it, it, would they be favored if Russ is healthy in the Texans, the Bears, the Lions, yeah, but Niners? They were favored in a lot of some of the games they lost. They were favored in the Titans game, that's for sure. That's sort of how it works. So, anyways, why do you feel like... <laughs> I knew that it was... Fucking pissed after that Titans game. I knew the Titans game would cost them everything. God damn it. He was so, like, at snap motion is so crucial for the Udaba offense, but Shane Waldron introducing more at snap motion to the Seahawks offense is irrelevant. Did I say that? You said that he's worse coordinator than Brian Schottenheimer. Well, has it mattered that much? Brian, Brian Schottenheimer, how about this? Brian Schottenheimer on the field has led a more effective Seahawks offense. You're you're judging things that are are more qualitative, and Brian Schottenheimer had stats oh, that are more quantitative. Shotty's just about the results, man. I mean, are, is that am I wrong about this? I I mean, I think where did the Seahawks offense end last season in DVOA? Since you you've got that pulled up. Well, let's see. I left to look, go look at the schedule. <laughs> Schedule's not as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, I'm sure it was quite good. They ended up number six last year. Okay, and where were they as of last week? So before Russell, like with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. So far this year, they're number six. (laughs) Okay. So again, I guess the the offensive coordinators coordinators don't matter. Coaches don't matter. Russell Wilson is what matters. In fact, nothing matters. Ah, On that note. Space is an endless void. Thanks for listening.